I, I wanted to punch the kid in the face, and I'm sorry I don't I don't advocate punching kids in the face. <laughs> Not anymore. Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. everybody welcome to the sincast this is chris atkinson from cinema sins joined as always by the voice of cinema sins jeremy scott yo and from music video sins barrett share hello and today we're going to continue our series of best of the years that we've been alive and we're going to be doing 2003 today a day may come when the courage of men fails but it is not this day for relaxing times make it centauri time no it's true i forget things almost instantly it runs in my family I mean, at least I think it does. Where is he now? He's doing this Superman thing. Those that can't do, teach. And those that can't teach, teach gym. The rum is gone. Why is the rum gone? I just like to smile. Smiling's my favorite. Mm-hmm. 2003 is not a good year, guys. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's got some good stuff in it. Yeah, it's definitely not great. But when you look down the like list of like 2003 movies, it's just like... Uh, <laughs> you grasping for something yeah. yeah um we'll i we'll start off with the, the easy one here best picture and the uh highest grossing movie of 2003 was lord of the rings return of the king and the longest movie definitely the longest of them all yeah i love return of the king yeah um but yes the the problem with it has always been that it ends five different times mm-hmm um but i like everything else about it and everything but good god man just end i know that you're you're sad that we're leaving and everything we won't we won't be returning to this again basically but i have a question about that Mm -hmm. because of the way they shot this where they spent like almost a decade together and the hobbits all got those tattoos and everybody that was in the fellowship like do you think maybe there was so much actual emotion at ending and saying goodbye to this experience that they in editing, Peter Jackson just couldn't help but indulge himself. And oh, it's the most indulgent thing I've ever yeah. seen. I always thought of it as, as a curtain call, like like you would have in a play. Like yeah. You would come out, everybody holds hands, all the characters get together, and here you go. And that's what it is. And, and they actually ended up shaving off... You know, there was an extended cut of that, right? There was more of that oh, in the like book. Oh, a four-hour version like, of each of them, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I would be fine with it if... Like it didn't take its time on every single right. like ending that it has. I mean, it has all of it has got that slow, like especially when they're about to go to the the what is it, the gray The Undying Lands. The Undying Lands yeah. or whatever. That takes forever. Mm, yeah, it really does. Um and uh but then yeah, you've got the you know, it's like right after that, it's them going home and you know, and Sean Aston finally married the girl that he's been yeah. looking, you know, all that and then geez, I mean, it's exhausting and then and but but yeah, everything before that, you know, especially like I love the you know, 
part where Aragorn tells the hobbits they didn't kneel for no one. Yeah, and, so and it's got the the he calls the dead to come in and kick some ass. And oh, that's yeah. awesome. I do not fear. Man, death. that yeah. whole flaming Denethor running off the top of the building mm-hmm. is like unsettling as hell. You, you yeah. can make a case that John Noble really makes a huge impact on that movie. He does. I mm-hmm. love that. I character. think if you take him out or put in a lesser actor, because it's not just that scene, right? It's the whole build up to it with his interaction with the Hobbit and sending his son out to certain death and all this other stuff. Uh, he makes that. He's crazy, but he's not, you know, outlandishly crazy until the very end. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And uh, then he's very crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and such a, an interesting character because his his favorite son has died mm-hmm. and the son that he doesn't like is still around trying to prove himself to him, you know, like, a, you know, and, and, and just failing miserably every chance yeah. that he gets and everything. And his character is so tragic, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember if this was in the was it in the book or was it in was it in the movie, too, where he and the Miranda Otto character. I guess the Miranda Otto character didn't even exist. Did she? She, she did. Liv Tyler didn't exist. Yeah, okay. Uh, but I don't remember there being any romance between them in the book. Right. I think that's played up in so the movie. So that's in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Played up to give Liv Tyler more of a, a perfect match with him, I guess. Mm-hmm. I do love Miranda Otto at the end. I always love this part of the books when, because it's like no man can kill a Nazgul or the Witch King or whatever. <laughs> oh, yeah. She's like, I am no man. <laughs> that's right. Um, that's it. And that is straight from the book. That yeah, line. It is, yeah. It is. And they played it. They played it very well. In fact, this is this has to be. All three of these movies have to be among some of the most faithful adaptations of a book. Yeah. Despite all the Tom Bombadil fans freaking out about his lack of appearance, despite the fact that Liv Tyler was actually most of her actions in the first couple movies are like a male elf who's not. Like, mm. But they had to play up the romance. But in all, in all these other areas, it's like detail specific, right down to the note. And uh, if you're a Tolkien fan. There's a reason these movies made so much money. Uh, yeah. Because they hit it out of the park. I was fine with the Tom Bombadil not being in Lord of the Rings until he did The Hobbit and he started in showing everything. Yeah. From that he's never filmed before, yeah. like in that. And like even that, he gets screwed, you yeah. know? Yeah. It's like, uh, yeah, man, you, you're indulging on all this stuff, but you didn't want to put that fan favorite in, the, in any of the movies. <laughs> well, there's somebody like that in the Harry Potter movies, too, right? I'm sure there is. I've read all the books, but I don't remember anybody going. I don't remember watching the movies going. Uh, hey, they forgot. They forgot that character. <laughs> forgot the, Dobby's it's cousin. Yeah, the P. It's like I don't know. I'll research later. I have no idea. Now <laughs> I have no idea. I, I I'm one of those people who read the Harry Potter books and promptly forgot. And them. then yeah, and then watched the movies, and now the movies are more They're dominant more in my head. Yeah. So like. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm sure there's some people out there that have read Harry Potter books ten times each and. Yeah, no. they're going to help us out. Just yeah. chime in below. <laughs> exactly. Well, speaking of fan favorites, this actually gets a chance for Andy Circus to kind of shine for a second when it goes from the whole Smeagol to Gollum transition. Yeah. I love that whole sequence there. Yeah. yeah, everything with him in this movie is a home run. He's kind of creepy in the first one. And I think at the tail end of Two Towers, you get to see a little bit of him talking to himself yeah. and planning. But I think this is the one where they have the big mirror scene. Is that right? Or is that in Two Towers? I believe it's the beginning of this one, right? That's what I thought. Because at the end of the Two Towers, he's plotting to take them take them right. to Sheila but yeah. anything well, else to declare on this movie no i mean it's it's it is good it's good Do you think it, it should have won best picture this nah, year? no 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 uh the that's the thing though right it's 
it was getting a lifetime achievement award. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't think it was going to. I didn't think it would have won any uh, under any other circumstances. Uh, if there was anyone that you know that should have won it, it would probably have been either Fellowship or. And I don't think Two Towers had a chance either. But, yeah. But Fellowship would have been a nice one to give the best picture to because 2001 was, you know, I mm. mean, it was kind of a hard year to. Mm. Uh, but, uh, but this one, yeah, I mean, I don't have a problem with it winning. I just don't think it's the best picture. Well, mm. okay. We're not talking about our own votes that'll come up here in a minute, but let's say this movie doesn't come out this year. What do you think the Academy, do they go Mystic River? Probably yeah? because mm. this was Mystic River was, you know, showered with all sorts of adoration. You almost sound like you don't think that should have been the case. No, I'm fine with Mystic River. I just, eh, I mean, <laughs> I think Sean Penn's <laughs> performance is great. Yeah. I really um, like this movie a lot. Yeah, I mean, uh, no, I like the movie, um, but I think it would have probably won Best Picture if it, if it wasn't for Return of the King. It just had so many huge actors giving really good performances, and it's like, you know, this murder mystery drama. This is the based on a book by the same author who wrote Gone Baby Gone and mm. Ben Affleck's upcoming film. Yeah, this is Dennis Lehane. Lehane. Yeah. Lehane? Dennis Lehane. Yeah. Um, I love Mystic River. I don't know how you guys feel about it. Uh, and I hate Sean Penn. Like... <laughs> Both as an actor and as an individual human being. Hmm. Um, and so I didn't watch this Always movie. liked him as an actor. I think he's a, a good actor. But, uh, but not, yeah, the human being. so much Mark stupid Hart. shit in general over the last 15 years. I'd find it hard to take him seriously. Um, but yeah, this is a really good movie. I, I just, I'm, I'm struggling with it slightly just because it's such a dark movie. Um, it's it is. dark. Is this Clint it, Eastwood's best as a director? Hmm. It's up there for me. I mean, I think Gran Torino is my well, favorite. Well, he, he did. directed Unforgiven, though, didn't he? Yeah, Unforgiven. Oh, yeah. I got to give it to that. Yeah. yeah. It's Unforgiven, and then it's probably like this or or Gran Torino mm. uh, would be up there. But, um, but yeah, I mean, uh, Mystic River um, introduces us a little bit to Emmy Rossum. She's mm -hmm. the one who, who uh, dies in the movie. Um, Spoiler. It, well, yeah. So the whole <laughs> it's in the trailer. Is that my daughter in there? Well, it happens. Is that like, my daughter in there? That was like oh ten God. minutes into the movie, too. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, Tim Robbins is really good in it, and like his is a tragic character because yeah. he does no idea whether or not he's actually done this yeah. or not. And and you know, it's the uh, big story of Sean Penn trying to figure out whether or not he'll admit it. Right. or not and we still we don't know whether it's him the entire time and then um but yeah this i mean i think just about everybody got nominated in this right marcia gay harden i think did and um kevin bacon or um i don't kevin bacon still hasn't gotten nominated i don't think he's ever been nominated that's kind of a crime yeah it is um he's one of the perpetually underrated actors that ever uh, goes, but th yeah, this is a this is a very good movie. I haven't mm -hmm. seen it in a long time, but I just remember it just being so like it's it's down. Dark. And then, but then, yeah, I mean, it's it's the good kind of down where you're like, oh, it's like the pledge for yeah. me, where it's like <laughs> the pledge is like you're, you're gonna go down this road, you might as well go all the way down yeah, it. It's a yeah, Sean sure. Penn movie, basically. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, <laughs> pretty much. Uh, I'm looking up the Oscars for this. It uh, it won. Uh, Sean Penn won. Tim Robbins won. Uh, and then it was nominated for Best Picture. Marsha Gay Harden. Uh, Clint Eastwood, and then Best Writing, Brian Helgeland. Wow. Wow. Um, wow. Um, but yeah, 
good movie. I don't know if we've talked enough about it. Or yeah, I think or we're it's good depressing with it. as fuck, but it's really good. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's um, like Gone Baby Gone, same author. Yeah. That's not a that's not a movie that you leave like cheering. Like I'm so excited right now. You leave <laughs> depressed and pensive, but it's still great art. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. What else, guys? Something that elicits different types of feels for people is lost in translation. Yeah. Mm. Uh, that's not like a traditionally like uplifting movie either. In fact, there's a lot of like just in your face ennui in this movie mm-hmm. and boredom yeah and wandering and stuff like that but it's still magical i yeah. love this movie so much this well, is her best film by oh, scarlett yeah, johansson yeah no i'm talking about the director oh sophia coppola yeah stop yeah. playing the pronoun game <laughs> <laughs> this is her this is that one i like this movie a lot mm-hmm. i don't adore it the way most people seem to in my social circles i do get what she's going for and i think this is the best f- story and use of her talents because she's very good visually she's very good at setting a mood this movie is gorgeous you do sort of fall in love with scarlett johansson you do Mm -hmm. feel what she's feeling um and bill murray is just well he's just a very unique version of bill murray in this film yeah almost Um, a muted version but still like really really out there because yeah i mean he's playing himself as a celebrity in japan endorsing this centauri product and everything yeah it's great. I love it. I just don't. Uh, I don't want to marry it, and I think you do. And so we'll have words later. Yeah, I think yeah, I probably would. Yeah, I kind of want to marry it. But um, the the this movie notoriously would not have been made had Bill Murray not answered his weird <laughs> like system for getting you know contacted by directors. Sophia Coppola wrote this movie with him in mind and basically said, "I'm not making this movie unless Bill Murray." is in it and and he's got some like like number that you call that goes straight to a voicemail or a voice answering service or something like that and then he has to like pick it up and be remember to check it yeah and be and and be interested in it and everything and apparently took many tries yeah and then he finally contacted her back and said i'll do this movie and this loosely autobiographical yeah i mean it's rumored that a lot of the stuff that's in the movie is something that sofia coppola herself had to deal with like she was dating like spike jones she was married to spike jones and giovanni rabisi plays basically somebody you could just Mm -hmm. sort of like think might be spike jones and anna ferris plays what a lot of people think is cameron diaz in this movie <laughs> and she's uh, a great character yeah she does <laughs> and uh and a lot of and a lot of people think that you know the it especially with some of the s- subtle scenes in this movie with rabisi and and ferris that there's an implied like they used to have you know yeah affair or something yeah. like that um so it yeah and and i always thought the bill murray character my guess was harrison ford oh uh just because he used to do commercials in japan and all that he did so i always thought that was him but um and of course you know ford has a long history with the coppolas and everything so i sort of like that was my guess but uh, she of course says that it's not autobiographical it's somewhat semi-autobiographical like I took pieces of myself and put it into this movie and and everything, and she's never confirmed. You that. have to think the Tokyo Tourism Board isn't super happy with this movie, right? Like, yeah. come to Tokyo and get depressed. And yeah. Really bored. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? That's sort of at least to Americans, that's the kind of the message. Yeah, somewhat. But then when she takes like a tour, I think she goes to like Kyoto and like right. some of the the old like that. It's it's just Japanese porn. Pardon the. <laughs> <laughs> not real Japanese mm-hmm. porn. Yeah. But it's, 
You're like the dude in tourism. You're porn. like the dude in Unbreakable. Like you better not be jacking off to the Japanese porn back there. <laughs> Let me rephrase. We all know what you mean. <laughs> Not like tentacle porn. I'm you just can't say Japanese porn without tentacles coming to people's minds. That's how it works, Barry. That is Jesus. exactly right. But no, oh. I mean, with all of the... Because they, they do go from like the, the city lights and like all the neon and the craziness mm-hmm. and everything to you know these quiet, beautiful temples and tea houses and everything out in the, in the woods and everything. And I, I, I love this depiction of Japan... Um, some of it's obviously a little bit over the top, but I think it's it's just generally really cool. This is a movie that generally would not pass snuff on my own scale for like, what do I find enjoyable? And I know a lot of people who hate this movie mm-hmm. so much for the reasons that I would normally hate Lost in Translation. There's no real story to it. Yeah. There's like zero story to it. It's just these two people who found each other and who are just like, they have a budding friendship that you know, could possibly go over the line at some point, but it's always portrayed as platonic. And Yeah, everything's everything's shades of gray. Like, even Giovanni Ribisi's character is not villainous or anything right. like that. He plays it just kind of like, you know, on the edge of neutrally asshole-ish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. And I, I just feel asshole-ish. like, I just feel like, <laughs> but, I, but Sofia Coppola has really, really got a great ear for soundtracks and stuff yeah, like that. And yeah. this movie has so many like great little songs and yep. stuff that they throw in there. Just Like Honey at the uh-huh. end of it is uh, one of my favorite send-offs to a movie. Uh, but um, yeah, I've always been very you know engrossed, and I can watch this anytime. And of course, it's a poster that's in this room. What were yeah. you going to say? I was going to say it's up there with Pulp Fiction, and, and uh, like Pulp Fiction, this movie infuriates some people with the whisper, right? Like, mm-hmm. what did he say, or what mm-hmm. was in the case, mm-hmm. or did the top stop spinning in Inception or what have you. Right. Um, it's never That kind of shit never bothers me. Yeah. Um, it bothers me, I guess, when it feels like it goes way out of its way to present itself and then and then do nothing. But when it's fairly harmless, like the characters in Pulp Fiction looking in the case, that makes sense. I don't need to see it. The mystery's kind of fun. It's the same way here for me on mm-hmm. this movie. I don't, I don't need to know what was said in The Whisper. It's not yeah. really... That's not the point. Although I believe somebody has... Uh, They've got a YouTube video. Yeah, they've jacked up the audio. Where they've jacked he, the he audio. Something. It's it's something innocuous, like you know, we'll try to see each other again. Purple monkey yeah. dishwasher. Like right, right. What? Purple yeah. monkey dishwasher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's from The Simpsons. Yeah, <laughs> Bundleberry Fudawar, or whatever the fuck he says. <laughs> Bundleberry Fudawar. Um, like I had drowned long ago. <laughs> like I had drowned long ago. Well, let's talk about Finding Nemo. Speaking of drowning, absolutely. Um, this is not my favorite Pixar movie, mm. but I have often said in public and in private that I believe this movie is perfect. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah? I don't think there's a single thing wrong with it. The voice casting is all great. Um, it has thrills. It has humor. It has heart out the ass. Mm-hmm. Well before Up comes along and punches you in the stomach with their opening montage. The opening of Finding Nemo is crushing. Yeah. Because they've got hundreds of babies, and they're in this loving marriage, and then this goddamn barracuda comes along and eats everything except Marlin and Nemo. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's how the movie starts. Yeah. Uh, and the music sells this film's emotions so freaking well. Yeah. Um, Another Thomas Newman score. Yeah. When there's movement in the story, there's... Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I adore this movie and I think it's flawless and it's going to be one of the two or three I threw out there as my number yeah, one. Yeah, we're, mm-hmm. we're driven here by Albert Brooks's great performance yeah. here. Ellen DeGeneres is really awesome. 
Um, and then Willem Dafoe as the, you know, the rough and tough fish (laughs) that's in the fish tank, uh, and whatever. But, uh, but yeah, this is a, this is a, a, a good adventure, uh, rescue type story and everything. I, this only really came up when we send it though. Uh, I feel it's very strange that these fish have this kind of intelligence and, and like especially like when they're all in the net there's like all the fish in the net and nemo's like just start pushing down or something and like and it breaks the net like nobody's ever fucking thought of this before well, you know like it, it takes and it's fucking a clownfish it take, yeah i know it takes nemo to do this shit you know like like nobody ever thought of this before you guys can talk you know you guys can talk <laughs> <laughs> well you do only as a fish you do only ever get caught in a net once right i guess yeah. so. it's not like any of those fish that we're seeing have ever experienced being caught in a net before because if they had they'd be on somebody's dinner plate yeah maybe yeah. but Nobody's neither has nemo you're right you're right <laughs> ne- I, i'm not gonna right. argue with your point like suddenly uh, nemo's been in a fish tank for two months and he's got street smarts <laughs> street i will smarts. say uh the end of this movie when you get that little tack on of the fish in the bags having just crossed the street (laughs) (laughs) they hop in the water and there's that now what which is i guess the the final joke i just love it this is one of those movies this is why we like pixar better than the other uh studios that come out with this type of animation because there's so many like things that they throw in as far as the life beyond the movie that you're seeing and everything so you see like you know the crabs who are like hey hey (laughs) hey and then you have the you know you have the uh the the seagulls are like mine 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 you know and all that it's it adds character to to very innocuous you know whatever and they do that in the background and stuff and they and they pixar like well studied like they went way beyond on the studying and the research of actual aquatic life oh yeah it's all on the dvd yeah to actually like get all of that right yeah and they just and it's stuff that nobody really notices but it really kind of you know when subconsciously on some level you're you notice how amazing everything looks yeah and everything attention to detail attention to detail is something that puts them way over and like you know, we're seeing, you know, stuff like Illumination Entertainment become the the new chief recently and everything. And I've never seen anything like that with them. Right. They have some funny, you know, they write some funny things in their scripts or whatever, but there's not like life on the outer right. parts of the frame right. and everything. And so. this movie utterly schools DreamWorks on how to do toilet humor. When that <laughs> big explosion happens and it cuts to the surface with the two pelicans and the husband goes, nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's how you do toilet humor. <laughs> uh, yeah. Pay attention, DreamWorks. <laughs> yeah. Was this a giant hit? Yeah. Yep. Second, oh, yeah. second uh, of the year to uh, Return of the King. Yeah, it it was barely under it too. It was almost number one for the year too. If, yeah. If it wasn't for the fact that Return of the King was sending off, I think this would have won. Yeah, because uh, Finding Dory now is is was gigantic. Oh yeah, Over Finding Dory is Finding Dory is yeah. their number one hit now. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Bigger than Frozen. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Also coming out uh, this year, we had uh, of course a slew of sequels. We had Matrix Reloaded. Now that was terrible. Yes yeah um they also had matrix revolutions yeah. revolutions came out later yeah in the Six year apart yeah. yeah um the they it was it was number four and number nine of the year box office wise but number matrix revolutions made only 139 million dollars rightfully basically so. because of what reloaded it right yeah 
um, because Reloaded was what everybody was excited about. Like the sequel to The Matrix has finally come out and everything. And Reloaded, I mean, I remember watching it the first time, going, "I like that." And then yeah. later on, you you just it just sinks in. You almost yep. talked yourself into it yeah. because of like it's like a Phantom Menace effect. The reason know? why I talked myself into this though was that the Wachowskis had at, to this point really done no wrong yep. for me. They had done Bound, they did the first Matrix, and when they said that they've always thought about this series as a trilogy and everything, I sort of believed them. <laughs> but once I watched this movie, I was like, oh, well, I guess I'll see Revolutions and see if it's if the if it's true and everything. By the time you get to the end of that, you're like, oh, you didn't have this in mind. Yeah. There's no way you had this in mind when kind you like made that first Matrix. Effect, right? Yeah. Yeah, it very much is like that. I find these movies to be totally watchable. Like, I don't think Reloaded... Reloaded is crap. Revolutions is a little better than Reloaded, but it's still kind of crap. But I I can watch all three of these and have a good time because each of these two sequels have moments of excellence. They're tucked in corners yeah. in between a, a bunch of sterile-feeling boredom, but... You know, like that, especially at the end of Reloaded, where they're in the real world and Neo throws out his arm and fucking stops the Sentinels. Mm -hmm. That's mind blowing, especially if on your first viewing, you've talked yourself into thinking the whole movie is good. Mm -hmm. And you get to that point. I walked <laughs> out of the theater going, holy shit. And I spent weeks on theories like, what? The, how is that possible? What's uh -huh. going on? Is this a second layer of the Matrix? Um, and then, you know, the third movie has plenty of great. They're, they're doing a little too much uh, George Lucas Star Wars cutting with their three big action set pieces yeah. there at the end. Uh, but it does add some momentum to the story that the second one is lacking. I think there are these movies are a bunch of underdeveloped ideas mm. and they throw you so many different things, especially uh, is it is it in revolutions where they introduce the idea of vampires and stuff or is it yeah. reloaded? No, that's revolution. Yeah, it's in revolutions where they're like. Wait, yeah. no, maybe it is. It is reloaded. I'm sorry. Yeah, right. it's reloaded where they talk about, you know, like you you saw something you know those oracle goes through all that every stuff. time you ever heard a story about a ghost oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're yeah. like sitting there going man is this where this is headed like we're about to see ghosts and vampires and stuff like that and like they just kind of like yeah just kind of sweep that under the rug a little bit other than those albino twins yeah which are yeah. ghosty right <laughs> yeah but yeah they could have played with that so much more yeah and also it feels like those two movies are so disconnected from the first movie mm-hmm uh, the first movie ended with Neo saying, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna show all these people what you've been doing, yeah, and all that." And I don't think that ever comes to fruition at all. No, and and nowhere did they shoot their intellectual wad more than on that architect scene. Yeah, uh, I Jesus. mean that was I talk just... about more ideas just thrown out just for oh exposition purposes, and it just goes on fucking forever. Yeah, <laughs> <It does. laughs> which was it was I mean it's cla it was classically uh, parodied by Will Ferrell. <laughs> so it's probably the funniest thing that and came cut, off of that. And cut in with actual reaction shots from yeah. Keanu. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He keeps on vis-a-vis. -vis. <laughs> We've probably talked a little too much about these Matrix sequels. Probably so. Both crap. Um, but the best X-Men, one of the best X-Mens came out this year. X2, yeah. X-Men United. Uh, 
uh brian singer opens this movie up with nightcrawler blasting uh, through all these different rooms and stuff and it's it's exhilarating it is yeah. it's still one of the most exhilarating sequences in, in any superhero film yeah and again you know fails to really use that character much after that he goes and broods in a church for a while mm-hmm. oh yeah he helps rescue the little kids out of the whatever thing at the very end by teleporting but he right. could have been a badass on the battlefield yeah uh and he wasn't yeah. And he's not really in uh, Apocalypse either, I'm finding out as I watch it for the first time. Yeah. You don't really. Nightcrawler always was my favorite X Men. Yeah. It's almost like with Nightcrawler and Quicksilver, they they just realized how powerful these characters are. Yeah. They've got, and they've they got have to, to like bit. throw them to the side and like, look, <laughs> why, you know, because people are just going to be sitting there going, why can't Nightcrawler? Yeah, why can't Quicksilver do this stuff? It's the vision problem yeah. that the Marvel has yeah. in the Avengers, right? Yeah, this, right? This guy could just end everything right now. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah. we're just gonna put them on the side for a little bit right right i think they just i i think they just realize you know like yeah these guys got they they're like gods they're really like gods mm-hmm. and, and they could just easily end all these things but um but yeah um after that yeah like after that scene it starts to kind of like eh, it's okay it's a good yeah. movie it's i mean i think a lot of people got with that first scene they were like this is the best comic book movie ever made i don't think i've gotten to that point yet it's by but. far the best of that first trilogy oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, it's got a real nice cohesive narrative and everything yeah good action more yeah. action than the first one brian singer stayed on and and you know i think that that continuity helped it with this uh Whereas, you know, when they went to the X-Men 3, they ended up doing Brett Ratner and everything. Mm. And, you know, that continuity is so important in these big yep. trilogies and everything. I do and- love that Wolverine fight uh, in the adamantium tank with the girl. Where oh, yeah. He shoves all the adamantium in her. And as she slumps down to the tank, you hear this clonk. Stripping <laughs> <laughs> yeah. out of her eyes. <laughs> yeah. Um, a couple other sequels. I'm not going to talk too much about them, but just to mention them. Terminator 3 Rise of the Machines. This was the beginning of the end of Terminator franchise. We have yet to have a good Terminator since Terminator 2. And then Terminator 3 comes out. I think a brand new studio, even Warner Brothers, because it was Orion before this. Um, Warner Brothers tries their hand at Terminator movies, and it's like, okay, well... they're basically saying now that there is no way to actually stop what happens in the past it's always fate and so we can just keep making these movies with impunity and everything but it's like the terminator 3 was just it's just an awful experience like it's okay (laughs) it's okay i'm feeling really meek right now because i like this movie yeah i think the giant truckosaurus chase scene in the beginning is fantastic and i like there's a beauty and a poetry to them and getting to that shelter at the end and realizing that her dad lied to them Mm -hmm. and it's not they're not going to find a way to stop it they're finding a way to be saved and then embracing his destiny as the guy who leads the rebellion and i love claire danes and have since i was like 19 Mm -hmm. that may be the reason can't blame you there uh, like, I don't think the graveyard scene is good. Yeah. I don't think the attack on the Skynet office is all that great. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I mean, d- it has it, the Skynet office has a moment in it that I think is awesome where the, the big robot comes yeah. sliding yeah. in, mm. shooting all the glass and everything. But um, but like, yeah, I mean, I, I was a little upset about it because it was just, you know, they this whole fate thing bothers me especially with the events of terminator 2 uh i just i just figured well now they've destroyed everything yep. so 
they um, closed the loop at that point. Right? Yeah, I feel I feel like you have at that point. Like you have no, no more Miles Dyson, no more mm-hmm. building to mm-hmm. to operate. You know, like it's it, none of the information is there anymore. So who's going to do it? But anyway, um, I can see you liking it. It's not a big it's not a big deal that I you like. Say it. it's good. No, but, but I, I enjoy watching. No, it. No, no, I'm not. I don't. I don't. I don't want to. By the way, I don't want anybody to not be able to speak up and say they like a movie when i say i don't like it <laughs> no no i'm totally fine with you liking it it's not a big deal it's not great though um but uh, other bad sequels bad boys 2 which is terrible terrible <laughs> terrible 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 film very no good bad day this is michael bay's worst movie wow that's saying uh, something uh, worse than the, the fucking it's fucking the worst movie he has ever made i'm scanning oh, wow. and i'm having trouble disagreeing right now Transformers is terrible. Look, once you Pearl get Harbor? to, once you, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I found one. <laughs> at least it was right. Uh. <laughs> but at least there's an exciting bomb shot in Pearl Harbor. There you go. <laughs> even though it's exploiting people's but Bad deaths. Boys Two has um, that great Dan Marino line I talked about. Oh yeah, that's Bad right. Boys Two also has that wonderful Puff Daddy, uh, Nelly mm, Murphy Lee yeah. uh, theme song, yeah. the Shake Your Tail Feather. This was a movie that. I was very close to walking out of and wow, I'm really? talking about at night at my movie theater watching it for mistakes and stuff like that was close to saying <laughs> fuck it <laughs> just play it not out. not <laughs> yeah if it's got mistakes then the customers can tell what us is, about it. what is it that bothers you so much about it because it's a piece of shit it's it, way too long yeah it is way it's like two long. and a, it's like two and a half hours long yeah and it it's super loud. Michael Bay He's actually so loud. Michael Bay came out and said that I purposely made this movie super loud because of the critics. And I'm like, okay. What? Okay. Well, that doesn't make your movie good either. It's I mean, just visual noise too. Like it's super loud, but it, the visuals are super loud. Oh yeah. yeah. And it's just And and I want, there's only so much I can take of this this Will Smith Martin Lawrence dynamic. Where everything's like, yeah, hell yeah, oh my God. and all Talk that about bullshit. Shouty. That's the yeah. shoutiest shouting uh, I've ever heard. And there's that whole, there's like, there's like a whole scene where Martin, is it Martin Lawrence, like, um, like pretends, to, pretends to tell the his daughter's boyfriend, like. He, no, Will Smith is doing that. Is it right? Will Smith? Both of yeah, them. Yeah. And they are basically harassing that child. Yeah. Threatening yeah. him with a gun and shit. <laughs> right. And there's a scene where there's rats fucking. Yes, yes. And Martin is. Lawrence is like, they fuck like we do. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. All right. They fuck like <laughs> yeah. I forgot all that. I think you've convinced me this is the worst Michael Bay. Oh, it's such a shitty, <laughs> shitty Michael Bay. I don't movie. think anybody says they fuck like we do in Pearl Harbor. Yeah, no, they don't. <laughs> and if they did, no, no, they no, were no, being wait. racist. Kate Beckinsale says that. Um, well, soldiers fuck like nurses. Yeah, exactly. That's crazy. Um But yeah, and then yeah, and then we had also to continue the dumbing down, Too Fast, Too Furious also came out this year. Uh as a this as this weird like oh it's a it's pre we're doing prequels to fast and the furious now until vin diesel can come back or you know too fast too furious introduced us to tyrese gibson and Mm -hmm. there's like some weird uh i don't know this the story to that is i don't even remember much about it i just remember going this is just not fun. Yeah. Not a good movie by any means. So we also anyway. got Final Destination too. Yes, we did. 
Well, that's all I have to say. Okay, about that. <laughs> I, that's all I can say about it because I don't know anything else about. I can't remember. Oh, it had the big uh, highway scene, yeah, the logs, and all. Probably that. the most famous Final Destination scene. Yeah, in any of the movies clearly, is clearly, that, that still crash. kind of resonates in my mind anytime I'm driving behind a, a semi truck oh. with with logs in the back. Yeah, yeah, I don't trust those fuckers. Yeah. yeah. All right, so let let's talk about Pirates of the Caribbean: The Curse of the Black Pearl. Yeah, easily the best Pirates of the Caribbean that's ever come out. Mm-hmm. Uh, still has a even though it's based on a ride um actually they infused some fun into this and it was it was entertaining and like they took that and later made these sequels where i don't know what it, everything is pandering after mm-hmm. this everything is like oh you liked jack sparrow okay here's way more jack sparrow than yeah. you ever will need yeah uh, oh, you like those two guards that were by the boat? Yeah. Oh, we're going to find ways to put them in every... Oh, you love the guy who keeps losing his eye? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it, it keeps going on along with those lines and everything. But this one, it, I actually felt like, hey, I'm in an adventure in this yep. one. This is a fun movie yeah. and everything. It's got a, a fun little like, oh, the you have a whole bunch of dead guys on a ship mm-hmm. looking for, you know, trying to put that last gold coin in the in the chest and everything. And it's like, yes, okay, this is this is something I can get on board with. This movie was such a surprise when it came out yeah. because nobody had done a pirate movie right. Right. Like, yeah. Like everything well, and, had, and nobody had thought anything would be good based on a Disney ride. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it was, and Depp, Johnny Depp hadn't, nearly reached the level of stardom that he no. is after this so everything about this was surprising i i love johnny depp at the time and i would have gone to seeing anything that he was in and i love pirate movies too so i took my future wife to see it and we were expecting nothing just to kind of just like you know have fun for a couple mm-hmm. hours and we walked out of there just loving it like feeling great like yeah. it was just jeffrey rush is terrific kira knightley was great yeah orlando bloom is is very good in this mm-hmm. you know and the fucking score to this yep. man is so this exciting is the great. emergence of Hans zimmer yeah. is like a legend at this point yeah. because um he does this and it, it seems like now like every time i see his name he's doing something just balls amazing yeah. like in every every movie but yeah score is great in this johnny depp this is something we hadn't seen before and then they he gets burn, nominated for it he gets nominated and uh and then he burns it to the ground after this but <laughs> yeah uh, the next one's coming next year yeah yeah yay yay that'll be the fifth or the sixth yeah fifth because they came out with that fourth one that everybody forgot about. The reason why they came out with that fourth one, though, was because worldwide, again, this is another yeah. worldwide thing. Even though it had done, even though the third one had done decently domestically, it made like a billion, I believe, worldwide. And then they came out with that fourth one, which did okay also domestically. It, it keep, continues to drop domestically. Like it's just like, okay, people are kind of tired of this, but worldwide, it makes all of its money back easily and then makes profit so well and it of course in the third one i think is where they got chow yun fat and you know oh, introduced yeah, the yeah. Whole, all the different like, pirate armies. yeah keith richards that's gonna yeah. pull in worldwide audiences in mm. ways that the first one wouldn't so. absolutely what else guys well one of the most acclaimed jack black performances uh was this year in school of rock yes yeah and i 
maybe I will here, but I haven't met anybody that doesn't love that movie. Um, if you do, punch him in the face. <laughs> that movie is really, really fun. Oh, it's it's so it's adorable. Fun. So it is great. Jack Black's liar liar. It is the yeah. most perfect role for his style of comedy, mm-hmm. where we're partially grounded in reality, but he's allowed to do some pretty unrealistic things. Yeah, push it a little bit, but not so far as like Nacho Libre or something. Yeah. Um, I love this movie through and through. Yeah, the it it's uh it's got a perfect premise to yeah. it. Steals his friend's substitute teaching job. Obviously has no like real idea of how to teach kids and everything, but then hey, you know what? Let's turn this into a music class. It's got so much heart, man. Yeah, yeah, and it's got that great line too where the parents find out and everything and it's like it's like um the one about the touching the kids oh, yeah. oh yeah. The, he's like he's like I'm, to- I'm 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 trying to touch your kids and i'm pretty sure the kids have touched me yeah. <laughs> uh, this has got great lines that that first one i think it's his first day when he comes in he's like he's like everybody shut up i'm hung over and they're like what's hung over one of the kids is like it means he's drunk. <laughs> he's like, no, it means I was drunk yesterday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that, it's this is just a yeah terribly fun movie, and it, and it shows Richard Linklater could do a movie that's you know studio mm-hmm. and everything. A lot of his studio stuff before this had been kind of eh. Mm-hmm. He had done stuff like the Newton Boys, and um, usually his studio things have always had that. It's not very good. This is excellent yeah well, a lot of it comes from the script which was mike white right uh-huh. yeah. yep who's in the movie the, the roommate who gets his job stolen yeah um yeah i love it i love it if you have never seen it and you like music at all again maybe it hits my musical buttons just right mm. but you know seeing those kids jam out and of course they just had a reunion oh yeah and yeah. jack black showed up and they just decided to perform one of the songs and it's all these kids like t- 10 years older and they're all <laughs> still rocking the shit yeah yeah it was awesome yeah yeah um, another comedy that came out, I know that you love, is Bruce Almighty mm-hmm. came out. Um, mm-hmm. Huge hit. Huge. Back to you, fuckers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, a, a great crowd reaction uh, oh, yeah. movie, by the way. That that right there, I remember that first night it was playing, going over to like number one at Hollywood 27, looking down, and when he's like, back to you, fuckers. Like, there's this the jolt in the theater when he says that. It's just everybody just, just gets destroyed. Well, and it's set up perfect because he's sh- he's so shocked. He doesn't say anything for like 30 seconds. And then you keep seeing like the news people and Jennifer Aniston watching TV, like, say something. Come on, talk. Mm-hmm. And then so finally he says this little thing. And then yeah. back to you, fucker. Yeah. <laughs> well, this movie ushered Steve Carell into stardom, right? Yeah. Uh, to the point where he would be the star of the Unnecessary Noah sequel to this movie. Yeah. Um, but I think this is before The Office was super huge on NBC. It, had, it wouldn't come out for another couple of years, yeah. actually. And so um, I'd never really seen this guy in much uh, yeah maybe a daily show segment here or there i think that's where he started yeah it was daily yeah. show was his first little start and then yeah he was he was you know obviously he was always background characters like anchorman and yeah. this and then uh, the 40 year old virgin was really his like yeah uh, big thing but yeah this was he almost steals the show because he has that one moment that where Jim Carrey moment, the Jim Carrey moment, yeah, where he's basically <laughs> saying all the gibberish on TV. I do cha cha like a little girl. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, uh, a fun movie. Another movie with Jennifer Aniston in it. Who I I I don't know. I tend to always forget 
Jennifer Aniston is in some of these movies. Yeah. <laughs> they, they never really give her much to do. Like, the only time I remember her in movies is like Horrible Bosses. They all they... want her to play Rachel. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Yeah, pretty much. But this movie did spawn a very frequent cinema sins phrase, and that's the Bruce Almighty moon. Mm-hmm. Because no, he has yeah. that moment where he lassos the moon as God and pulls it closer mm-hmm. to make things more romantic yeah. uh, in the bedroom. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> yeah, moons aren't that big in real life, people. I can't remember. Does does when he lassos in the moon, does that actually cause gravitational issues in the movie? It does. Well, they talk about it later. Like one of the news broadcasts says something has gone funky with the tide. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because all, almost all of his decisions eventually have some negative impact on the world, mm. which is fantastic, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I like later in that scene when she's in the bathroom and he's in the bedroom and he's like, pleasure, pleasure, yeah. pleasure. And she's basically having an orgasm in the bathroom, yeah. not knowing why. Uh, yeah, I like this more than most uh i think it's you know it's way the hell better than a lot of the comedies jim carrey has made well and we also i mean perfect casting as god too morgan <laughs> yeah. freeman uh where i think we're i think this is a point where we've just we've pretty much like any man of power let's try to get morgan freeman yeah. you know and because he will be able to do the job no yeah. doubt so he's been president a couple of times now yep and he's been God, and like you know, it's, he's perfect. He's perfect at these things. Is this the last great Jim Carrey comedy performance? Hmm. Maybe. I feel like. Yes. Yeah. It's yeah, the. I mean, it's the last great one. This? Like, I mean, he has had his moments in um, Yes Man, mm-hmm. uh, which came later, um, which is basically a throwback. Yeah. To, to these types of movies, well, they actually literally got very many of the people from bruce almighty to come back and help make that they were trying to recapture Mm -hmm. the last time they had magic with jim carrey in a comedy uh they don't really do it in that film i'm trying to think because i like horton hears a who but it's not great and it's an animated movie it doesn't really count as a jim carrey comedy um eternal sunshine isn't a comedy uh, and he's fantastic in that yeah i mean he just kind of left that world left that broad comedy world there was a a movie the very few people got to see uh i love you philip morris that was a good performance too Mm -hmm. uh, but just hardly anybody ever saw it it was a you know even in 2009 it was hard to market a movie like that Mm -hmm. um but uh but yeah probably the last time he's i mean you could point back to jim carrey carried this movie yeah and um and it you know it, he has a lot of moments instead of just a couple scattered here and there mm. um also in 2003 um old boy came out mm-hmm. yeah um the original old, old boy the original old boy uh, it was remade by spike lee later not nearly as good of a mm. movie um but uh this one is awesome this one is amazing yeah it's got some of it's it is one of the biggest whammiest movies that you'll ever see uh and i will not spoil it in this in this one but uh so because if you haven't seen it you should see this um but um but yeah it it's got so many nutty moments in it it's the main guy in it is there's a point where he wakes up and he gets in an action scene reminiscent of a video game like a side-scrolling video game. And he's like, and, and the camera's just moving along with him like it's Double Dragon or something like that. <laughs> and, uh, um, but, um, but yeah, uh, it's about a, a, about a guy who uh, is uh, basically kidnapped and imprisoned for 15 years. And uh, when he wakes up, you know, he's trying to, you know, figure out what to do with his life and all this other type of stuff. And, um, 
it's just so good what a crazy premise yeah and it leads and it just like i said it leads to this like you know a whole bunch of like you know whammy revelations mm. by the end of it that you know sock you in the gut um but sock ya. but uh <laughs> I, I don't want to say too much about Old Boy because that's one that everybody should uh, take a look. I want to mention the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake mm-hmm. just because the, the trailer. trailer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The trailer for this was is still one of the best trailers I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember. I mean, it's you know, it's got that it's got that thing where like once it, once it starts showing like them getting chased around the house and all that other type of stuff, it always has that still frame you know all that watch the texas chainsaw massacre trailer and tell me you don't want to watch that movie right now but don't watch but don't watch it because it's terrible yeah that that's one of the biggest teases in all of american history is that trailer for that movie yeah did not live up to the hype in fact you're making me think because we were talking earlier before the podcast about uh, we recorded this day, the day the Logan trailer came out mm-hmm. for the last Wolverine movie, and mm-hmm. it's a fantastic trailer. But now I'm like, well, that doesn't really mean anything. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a good trailer. Good job on the trailer. <laughs> I'll have to wait to see the movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, and also, speaking of Morgan Freeman, Dreamcatcher came out this year. The only reason I bring this up is because this had the Animatrix thing at the beginning of oh, it. Oh, yeah. And it didn't matter. It was in newspapers. It was outside in the lobby. Everybody who watched Dreamcatcher, it seemed like every show of Dreamcatcher, somebody came out and said, there's a cartoon playing <laughs> on this movie. <laughs> and and I was just like, I mean, do you not see every poster and ad for this movie advertises the Animatrix? You know, anyway. Yeah, I don't get it. Um, um, how do you guys feel about Open Range? I, I I like it. I haven't seen it in forever. Oh, it's uh, Duvall and Kevin Costner, um, and they're basically free grazers, right? They've got cattle, and they move around the countryside, and their cattle graze in this land that nobody really owns, but they've come to this town where there's a big cow merchant man who runs the whole town. It's uh, Michael Gambone, actually, mm-hmm. um, and uh, he's trying to drive them off, um, and it starts small where they basically – there's a basically a fist fight uh, and they make an arrest and then Costner and Duvall go and try and settle that. But they are, very quickly, somebody gets murdered in their crew and it basically boils down to at the very end, the last 30 minutes of this movie is fucking phenomenal because it's just those two and they've stashed guns all around this town. All the townspeople have cleared the fuck out because they know there's a gun battle coming. And so Gambone and his crew come in on one end and Duvall and Costner are pretty sure they're going to die on this end. And it's just, you're so wrong, we're willing to die giving you justice that's awesome uh and it's you know it's a western it's not going to move mm. super fast um but i really really like it yeah and i wish i could contribute more i just can i just know that i saw it and i liked it and then i have not that's seen good. it that's since. A, that is a contribution <laughs> I can get on board with. um okay so a couple others let's see uh kill bill volume one came out mm-hmm. uh and this year and this um i remember the first trailers for these uh basically it the movie was delayed for a really long time. Like we were like, Oh, Tarantino's next movie's coming out. It was like, I think 2002 was when, when you heard about it. And then like the, uh, the teaser trailer that came out said 2003, uh, Uma Thurman is finally going to kill bill. And then like it comes out, but they decided to cut it in half. Yeah. Which is the model by which a lot of movies decide to, um, 
go about their business now yeah. because if it's if this had come out as its original like four or five hour form it would have made only the money that maybe even less than the first part made by itself but yeah. now that you made a second part you pretty much doubled your earnings or whatever on this and i think it was the right call it was the right call because these are two very distinct movies and i think they're two very good movies yeah um and the first one took forever to grow on me like mm-hmm. it was so just because of like the animation elements and just like the the weirdness and all that stuff that wasn't typically tarantino certainly one of the most bizarre tarantino films mm-hmm. that he's done um it, it took me off guard and then after a while i grew to really really like yeah, it. yeah i'm the same way i like i liked volume one a lot i like volume two better yeah uh, and that comes out the following year, but um, but Volume One is more actiony than any Quentin Tarantino movie yeah. has ever been and before. Bloody as shit. Yeah, yeah, extremely bloody. In fact, he had to put stuff in black and white in order to get the R rating. And everything. I always thought that was a joke. Mm. Was that he was he was making a commentary on that? Uh, oh, really? <laughs> it, it could also be that, but I was always uh, to led to believe that he had to put some of those scenes in black and white. Because I'll be honest, there's nothing in that scene with the 88s that she fights that scars me like that animated girl in her bedroom. Oh, oh yeah. That. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm going to disagree here. I don't hate this movie. I probably don't hate any Tarantino movies, but I have never been drawn to watch this movie again. Mm. Um, and it was, I was, this just might be a personal thing, but, and I know that Tarantino his point is about excess i get it but in this one realm of gore and blood that excess was too much for me well yeah especially that first scene in the church uh, where he's walking up and you know uh, essentially executes this pregnant woman Mm -hmm. yeah and it's like ah okay yeah here we go from here yeah Yeah. and so i i don't i don't hate it i haven't seen it in a long time so i can't really say much about it i mean volume two is so much better than volume one yeah i agree with that. volume volume two is exactly what tarantino movies should be Mm -hmm. Uh, a lot of like where dialogue is action and and uh it's uh oh, that last scene with her and him so good yeah. conversation so uh, you're good. right it is like an action but volume one is way more actiony and everything and i can see not liking it as much uh, it's definitely not his best but it's now was volume one the one where she uh kills vivica fox mm-hmm. now i love that scene yeah it's a great scene and especially at the end when her daughter is looking mm-hmm. at her and she's like you know when you get all grown up and uh you want to come looking for me yeah you still I'll feel be, raw about <laughs> it <laughs> um also in 2003 love actually came yeah, out yeah big christmas movies coming out this, this year. is i think in this era still considered probably the best romantic comedy that has come out in the last 15 years, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's anybody, I don't think there's anything that people bring up more than this movie. Well, everybody loves it because yeah. it's got, you know, kind of raunchy comedy. It's got you know, real A comedy, mega real cast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of everybody is in this. It's one of the, I think it's just one of the most oft-cited romantic comedies ever made. It's got everything because it, it's a holiday movie. Mm-hmm. It's got every type of relationship, including like this, these porn stars. Yeah, these, uh, well, they're uh, they're uh, they are they're stunt. Doing... They're like they're like stunt performers. Yeah, they're like yeah, yeah. warm up performers. <laughs> yeah. And they're and and 
just to give you a taste of this kind of movie here they they're all through the movie when they show these these performers they're like having this great conversation and stuff they're not even really paying attention to that they're like actually having sex and everything like that (laughs) and like like, yeah and they're just like sitting there having conversations and everything (laughs) and then by the end of it like the, the guy's like like all sheepish and everything like just you think you might want to go out on a date sometime (laughs) 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 oh yeah that'd be lovely you know that type of thing you're making me want to watch it now um but the it's a huge mega cast in this it's you know bill nye you got colin firth you got liam neeson emma thompson uh martin freeman chiwetel ejiofor kira knightley's in it um but yeah hugh grant has has a, a, a huge moment of he's the prime minister of of england and he is alone for a second in his house, like uh, around the holidays and everything. And he's this real buttoned up character, even though he's you know dashing and everything. And he starts dancing. I forget what the song is, but he starts mm-hmm. dancing around uh, to this music. And it's just this nice, fun, loose moment where he's just like sashaying around the whole, uh, yeah, the whole mansion. But yeah, Laura Lenny, Alan Rickman's in yep. it. I mean, there's a lot of people in this, and it's just, it's a, I mean, yeah, it's a very winning, uh, entertaining movie, and for for good reason. It's kind of like what when Harry Met Sally was for a really long time, mm-hmm. only with a big, big, big cast. Um, what else? Well, Barrett, you mentioned Christmas movies. Mm-hmm. Will Ferrell had a good year. Yeah, Ooh. he had Elf. Yeah, I think Old School also came. Old out School this did year. come mm-hmm. out. Yep, which may make this ultimately the best year for Will Ferrell comedies. I think so. Mm-hmm. Those two movies are both solid. Elf is uh, and was instantly uh, annual must watch for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Christmas classic. It's got the heart where you want it. It's got again Will Ferrell's humor, but we've given him an excuse to be that weird because he is an elf yeah. from the mm-hmm. North Pole. And so it's not just a weird American guy doing Will Ferrelly things. It, it sort of makes sense, right? And you've got James Caan, perfect foil to play off yeah. of the wacky humor of Will Ferrell. Um, yeah, well, I like this movie a lot, and uh, I watch it every year at this, least twice. This had a great moment uh, with Zoe Deschanel and Will Ferrell doing a duet of Baby It's Cold Outside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a a great Christmas moment. Well, he's, well, it is, except the song's basically pervy and he's stalking her while singing it. Well, she's in the shower, right? Yes, it's extra (laughs) uncomfortable if you look at the lyrics of that song because it's basically a dude pleading with a girl not to leave it's yeah. cold outside here. yeah okay. come on um but i do love that scene um but uh, mm-hmm. it, everything is innocent though in that scene though i mean he's he's not in the shower to hope to see her oh or, no he just likes her singing and even when she comes out he like ends up running into like the, all the whatever the shelves or whatever <laughs> the hell it is or whatever because he doesn't he, oh no she's out <laughs> um I guess also uh, sticking to the Christmas vibe, Bad Santa came yeah. out. Yep. Uh, a, a movie that ended up being a huge surprise hit uh, for Billy Bob Thornton. Of course, everything he came out with after that was him being a, a grump yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> and whatever. But this is the one that started. And it's kit, it's getting a sequel. It looks yeah, awful. It is. Um, but, uh, but Bad Santa is, you know, it's such a filthy movie. Mm. You know, it's just, it. there's something about it. You know, and it's... And it's just, I mean, I don't know. It's It really resonated with a lot of people. Yeah. Did you like it? Uh, I liked it. I liked it pretty good. Yeah. Also started a trend that I'm ready to see die, and that's movies that are titled Bad Something. Oh, oh yeah. Because yeah. we have Bad <laughs> teacher. teacher. We had Bad, bad moms. moms. 
bad moms. We're going to get bad dads. Yep. We had bad grandpa. Yep. I'm, I'm tired of it. <laughs> yeah. Like, you're the next comedy right. is going to be like bad police, bad <laughs> cops, <laughs> bad lieutenant. Yeah, I, uh, I totally agree. This movie probably sets the record for uh, a Christmas movie with the most anal sex references. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, oh, but yeah. that was that was that was uh, used to belong to White Christmas before yeah, this yeah. movie came out. Yeah, well, it was blown out of the water, but I mean, it was a... <laughs> totally. Now, yeah, I mentioned Italian Job a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. I think at least one or more of you haven't seen it. Right? I've seen it. Oh, I've seen it. Okay, um, I like this movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. a lot. It's fun. Um, it's got a lot of likable people in it. Most Def and Jason Statham and Marky Mark and Charlie Theron, mm-hmm. uh, Donald Sutherland, Ed Norton is the bad guy, but he's still really likable. Um, he has a bad guy mustache. Too. You have Seth Green in it. <laughs> yeah, Seth Green. I love that bit when Jason Statham goes over to charm the cable lady mm-hmm. and Seth Green because he's this big heartthrob and Seth Green is sort of doing an impression on what he imagines this guy must say to women. And, like, and I don't even remember the words he says, but he does this like half-assed Statham impression. It's just hysterical that little moment. <laughs> uh, but basically, there's a heist in the beginning. Ed Norton double crosses the team, leaves him for dead. And the rest of the movie is them finding and exacting revenge by heisting him right back and stealing the gold back. Um, and it's harmless. Your your life's going to go on just fine if you never, ever watch this movie. Uh, but it's so much fun to me. And like, like I said last week about Kanamata Crisco, Crisco, Crisco um, I feel sheepish about telling people I like this movie because I feel like it doesn't have a great reputation. But I could be wrong. Does it not? I, I mean, I, I thought it had a pretty nice reception when it came out. Of course, it's a remake. Yeah. I I watched it. Uh, we had a, we got some for whatever reason we got like a work print like for um, critic screenings or whatever. So like some colors were off and like they didn't have end credits and all this other type of stuff. It was weird. But just remember not enjoying watching this movie at all. Mm-hmm. And I haven't seen it since, but does it really mean, I mean, I could probably pop it in now and be like, oh yeah, it's a way better movie than I remember it. But yeah, I remember fun. seeing it and not liking it. That whole uh, chasing with the Mini Coopers is a lot of fun. It's pretty too. iconic too. Yeah. Um, yeah. As a visual for the Mini Cooper, it mm-hmm. did. I bet you that did a ton for yeah. their brand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because you go to LA now and every other car is a Mini Cooper. Mm-hmm. It wasn't yeah. the case when this movie came out. Yeah. yeah. Uh, some other... Um, uh, comic book properties hulk ang lee came out with hulk mm-hmm. uh well shot but just over it's just not a good movie yeah uh, well shot but not good yeah and i and i remember being excited about the trailers because you saw hulk throw the tank in the yeah. distance and everything and i was like all right that looks like something but oh man it's just not a good movie and no. it has hulk dogs yeah. <laughs> yeah nobody wants that nobody wants that uh, we haven't mentioned Underworld. Uh, I, I never understood the popularity of this. No, uh, me neither. Mainly because I don't like the idea of having vampires and werewolves where there is guns. Yeah. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. I just oh, I just hate it so much. It'd be like if the Avengers had their big showdown and they're all actually shooting at like Thanos or right. whatever. Right. Well, and that's why it's so silly in the first Avengers yeah, where Scott Johansson is like, here, we've got some aliens Christmas. coming down. I'm going to cock this gun. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, what else? Uh, Master and Commander? Yeah. A Peter Weir movie that's uh, not as high on um, yeah. with his usual Peter Weir. Really? Movie. Yeah, it's okay. I really like this. Uh, to the point where I wish they would make more naval adventures like this as opposed to the some squall or whale and you're fishing and 
drowning for two hours like the last handful of naval adventure movies have been. Mm-hmm. This is actiony, but it's also like like period specific wise. Mm-hmm. Like it feels really cramped in the interior of the ship and um, I don't know. I just really like it, and uh, makes me sad that you guys uh, that you guys I've, don't. Well, I've seen it one time, and I remember going, "Ah, oh, man, this movie seems kind of long." <laughs> yeah, it and, is long. And I love Peter Weir, and and it just didn't feel like the Peter Weir movies that I typically yeah. like. But and 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 also, you know, and I'm not a big Beautiful Mind fan. You know, you have Russell Crowe and Paul Bettany in yeah. this, and it's like yeah. it gave me like all this beautiful mind flashbacks <laughs> yeah. while I was watching it. I can understand that. Um, a really good uh, twisty movie, Identity, came out yeah, into the like John that. Cusack. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't. This is another one I don't really want to spoil if you haven't seen it because not very many people I think have seen this. No, movie. probably not. It's it's not great, but it's it's got great like fun twists. It's to like it. a play. Yeah. It, it really is like a play. It takes place pretty much in one uh, hotel area mm-hmm. and uh, and just, you know, the immediately surrounding area. And it's it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, Can we talk about the cooler? Yeah, let's do it. I love the cooler. I do, too. This is William H. Macy and Alec Baldwin. Alec Baldwin in one of my favorite Alec Baldwin performances ever. Yes. He is this uh, Vegas casino manager, I guess, an old school guy named Shelly. And, uh, you know, he's he, he does it the old ways where, you know, muscle equals might and that kind of thing. And Ron Livingston comes in and wants to change it up. And it sets these whole events going forward uh, that affect William H. Macy, who is a literal cooler. He is yeah. so he is bad luck incarnate. So anytime he gets close to a table that's running hot. It's done. <laughs> yeah, and things of course change once Maria Bello starts yeah, to fall in yeah. love with him, and they're like, "No, we we can't have this guy happy." Yeah, you know we have you know we have to sabotage this. Man, um, it's it, and Alec Baldwin's got some. He's got this like big yo, hey, uh, the the husky New York accent. <laughs> yeah, and so there's one point in the casino where they're sitting at the bar, and him and William H Macy are talking, and a hooker walks by, and he's like, "Hey, you know this is this is who I am. You know that I want you at my office. You know on Monday." And as she's walking away, he turns to William H. Macy. He's like, how'd you like to buddy that hole? <laughs> Baldwin, of course, was nominated for this, too. Yeah, um, he's great. The guy who did this, uh, Wayne Kramer, um, it, it, it would be easy to think this is a David Mamet. Because you yeah. have Alec Baldwin and William H. Macy, who's a longtime Mamet guy uh, in this. But Wayne Kramer really hasn't done much beyond this. He did a movie. He did the the non-remake of Running Scared that had Paul Walker in it. Oh, yeah. And everything later on. But um, The Cooler is a really good movie. It's also part of that this film is not yet rated thing. Yeah, it's got some graphic-ass sex. Yeah, it does. But uh, but it's it's one of the funniest. Graphic-ass sex? Man, well, there's a lot of ass in it, and there's a lot of William H. Macy ass in it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, also coming out, uh, Matchstick Men, Ridley Scott. Yeah, With Nicolas Cage doing another great performance, and... And it's weird, like man, this this guy is obviously talented, and he can he can do these type of type of things, but um, but you know, for whatever reason, he started just. I mean, everything he came out with, it seemed like later on after this was, we need the the manic Nicholas Cage. We need to do yeah. you know everything has got to be weird. This is a really good movie. For I love him. it. I love it a lot. I've I've talked about it on more than one podcast. I mm. think. Yeah, we have. Um. The Coen Brothers came out with uh, one of their worst movies, Intolerable <laughs> Cruelty, uh, came out in this year. And it's one of the few movies whose title actually describes the viewing experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. Um, I don't think they wrote this movie. 
Yeah, they they're on it, but it's also these guys, Robert Ramsey and Matthew Stone. So they're just like, I don't think this was really a movie that they, uh, you know, intended to do. It was like maybe just for something. To- it's it's a big waste. It's a it's a waste of them. George Clooney, Catherine Zeta Jones, Billy yeah, Bob Thornton. Like, so, I mean, how did how did this turn so badly? Yeah, I know. I mean, I I I don't know if I I can't tell you that I was very excited about it when it came out either. Uh, but I was expecting more than this, mm. you know, uh, movie came out, I believe on the same day as kill bill volume one came out, mm. um, monster came out. This is a uh, makeup, yeah, yeah. makeup gonna run amok. <laughs> they made Charlie's Theron look like a, a hideous person. Yeah. Compare that Charlie's Theron to the Italian job. Yeah. Theron. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like polar opposite. yeah. Yeah. Uh, monsters more of a performance movie. It's not like, you know, it's not like the movie's great. She's great. great. She won. She, she? Yeah. She won the Oscar for that. Uh, but, um, uh, what else? Seabiscuit. Yeah. Seabiscuit came out. And The Last Samurai. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are two movies that I enjoy, but I don't think are great, but, uh, I feel like I should mention them. Yeah. Although I guess in hindsight, The Last Samurai is one of these movies that, they, they're crying whitewashing about because it's an yeah, yeah. American <laughs> For dude sure. yeah. coming over, being asked to basically train, you know, these people to fight the way American soldiers do and shoot guns. And they're they're inept at everything when he gets there. Uh, but he's uh, I find the movie really enjoyable. It's a it's one of those Tom Cruise performances that I don't think gets enough attention. Mm-hmm. Movie's a little too long, but there's some great like samurai ninja action. Oh, and, yeah. And uh and there's a great drunk Tom Cruise in the beginning because he's uh, <laughs> I love drunk Tom Cruise. Uh, he's one of the best Tom. <laughs> oh Cruise. yeah. Um, the movie Thirteen came out. This is Catherine Hardwick before she did Twilight, and Nikki Reed wrote the screenplay when she was thirteen years old. This is kind of an uncomfortable movie. Yes, isn't it, it is. <laughs> Mostly just that one scene, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This yeah. is Evan Rachel yeah. Wood's big yeah debut, mm-hmm. and she's now on Westworld. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the, the scene in question is her and her friend. They're 13, and they basically try and get this neighbor boy to make out with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and he almost does. Yeah. And that's why it's uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's, a, you know, that's, the re- that's the reason why later on Catherine Hardwick would go on to do Twilight, and Nikki Reed would end up being in that and all that. But 13's a, a decent movie with, an, uh, yeah, with some uncomfortableness in it. Uh, that's the reason why it had such a following yep. or whatever. Um, the Dreamers came out. Bernardo Bertolucci once again exploring sex, weird sex. <laughs> like, just oh, is like, this Ava Green? And uh, yes. oh no, that's that's an interesting it's movie. A, it's a it's a it's an interesting movie. Yes, yeah. Like, I don't know if I want to call it good. Yeah, it's not bad. Yeah, it's uh, it's got the guy from uh, Boardwalk Empire in it, right? Yeah, yeah. it's Michael Pitt. Michael Pitt. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I will always be in love with Ava Green after mm. this movie um and especially when she, they cast her in casino royale and put her in that green dress i'm yeah. just like okay what do you want from me then they killed her and kept referring to her for, they, for, for all the movies afterwards um uh big fish came out i like big fish yeah talk about big, big fish i did not like big fish big fish is definitely tim burton's most understated movie mm-hmm. um it's it's you can you can tell like there's elements there's burtony elements in it, the fantastical stuff him reliving the stories and everything uh but man it's got uh, i think i mentioned it when we were talking about him kind of going off the rails but it's got a lot of heart to it mm-hmm. and it's grounded really well and ewan mcgregor has a great performance in it uh it's not certainly his best mm-hmm. but i think it's probably his 
last best. Yeah, movie. yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. I didn't see that movie came out with last year. The um, what was that? All it was about the people, all the weird faces. And stuff. Was it? Was it? Oh, uh, uh, big, big head, big eyes, big eyes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's another big, big movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, the other uh, comic book movie I was thinking of was Daredevil came out oh. in 2003. <laughs> That's worthy <laughs> um, of uh, lack of discussion. But uh, yeah, we're not talking about it. Uh, two of the worst movies of all time came out in 2003. The mm. Room, yep, which uh, of course has midnight showings around your uh, <laughs> your alternative theaters everywhere. Um, uh, obviously, uh, it has got a life of its own at this yes, point. Yes, it does. Uh, another one that came out in 2003 was the brown bunny what now the brown oh, bunny wow um the reason why i bring this movie up is i think it's weird that he came out with this and nobody liked it and then he made some cuts and then suddenly critics were like oh this is actually pretty good now mm-hmm. i watched the the version that has been cut okay so i watched it and i'm like so so it ceases to be boring now? Is that what? Yeah. Is because he cut some, like, there is a scene where he washes his car in real time. <laughs> this is Vincent. Vincent Gallo. Vincent Gallo. Yeah. Who is the most self-indulgent director yes, I think I've ever but seen. But he made a pretty good movie called Buffalo 66 yep. before this. Yeah, with this. Christina Ricci. Yeah. yeah. One of yeah. my favorite stories ever is I was halfway through Buffalo 66 and my roommates came home. Like, What's going on in this movie? And... I forget exactly what I said, but I was like, he's leaving this girl he kidnapped with his parents so he can go kill the kicker from the Buffalo Bills. It's like one of the most ridiculous summaries, but it's totally accurate at that point in the movie as to what was going on. We're spanning time with each other. The 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 Brown Bunny, of course, is mostly known for the fact that Chloe Seventy actually has uh, engages in real oral sex with her boyfriend at the time. Yep. She gives him the best blowjay. Blowjay ever. <laughs> uh, the remake of Freaky Friday, which uh, sort of continues the ascent of Lindsay Lohan, uh, comes out. Didn't last much longer after that, though. No. Nope. Uh, Freddy vs. Jason finally yeah. made that movie after many, many years talking about it. It's and then awful. You, and then you realize, oh, yeah, those two guys shouldn't be in the same movie. <laughs> it's uh, awful, but it is kind of fun oh there's some no, elements i don't know if i can get on board fun, on that it's, it's not, terrible it's not it's fun terrible. at all don't know if i can get on board on that uh the movie that made sean connery retire the league of extraordinary gentlemen yeah. came out uh jeepers creepers 2 cold mountain a movie i did not get why everybody it was a big oscar movie anthony Mangella, who i like but this movie is my english patient for oh, you i don't, you I don't like, like it either though uh like it's not my english patient in real life dogville another like that's a tough movie to get through, yeah, too. Yeah. Lars von Trier. 21 Grams. We're talking about depressing Sean Penn movies. Yeah. <laughs> 21 Grams is one of those. That's another. Inuritu, right? Yeah, Inuritu yeah. came out with this one. Um, And is there anything else there's, there's at all? There's two that I wanted to mention. American Splendor. Uh, yes, love American Harvey Splendor. Harvey story. Uh, Paul Giamatti. Th- this is probably the best he's ever and been. And how the fuck did he get nominated in this oh, year? No. In know. this year of all years, he didn't yeah. get nominated. Is the most insane thing ever, yeah. and he's great. He is absolutely stunningly great. He's in this spot movie. on. He does the perfect Harvey Pekar. Yeah, if you ever see the real Harvey Pekar, you're like Giamatti yeah. nailed that shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Once upon a time in Mexico, Robert Rodriguez shot for the moon on this, and missed. it missed horribly. <laughs> Johnny Depp again, but uh, yeah, not a not a good movie. Um, uh, high tension. A lot of people liked this uh, horror movie that came out. Uh, this Alexandra Aya or Aya or Haha. I don't remember. I don't know how mm. to pronounce it. 
I feel like this movie is a lot of gore and violence and a, and a surprise ending that doesn't make any fucking sense. Yep. Um, Stuck Ooh. on You, the Fairley Brothers um, came out with that. The Station Agent was the other one I was Yeah, really, it's, really fun, really is, good indie yeah, movie. This yeah. is pre-Game of Thrones, Peter Dinklage, and yeah. pre-Boardwalk Empire, Bobby Cannavale. He had a great year. He's also an elf. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. That's right. Call me Elf one more time. <laughs> <laughs> and then when he runs across the table, Will Ferrell's like, look at you go. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Uh, another like um, middling Ron Howard movie, The Missing, came out. Another movie with Evan Rachel Wood. Missing in it. you. Um, I don't think there's anything else that I can see on this, although I'm scared because you keep coming up with all these great movies <laughs> Those that I haven't even run across. Because there's a lot of like smaller movies that came out in this, this year. I think we've mentioned almost all of them that are really, really good and really worth watching. All right. I'm ready to, I'm ready to do this. Let's do it. Okay. Today is Chris Barrett and Jeremy. Oh yeah. And I also want to mention Shattered Glass again because oh, yeah, yeah. Hayden Chris- Christensen was really good in that. Um, I am not sure that I have in my head. I, I mean, I'm going to have to go with the lost in translation. <laughs> I mean, after talking about all these movies, lost in translation is the only one that I can think of that just consistently was like above everything on mm. this. And I know that's going to make a lot of pe- people cringe because lost in translation is not, is not as beloved as I think most people, well, uh, people who like it like i do think it should be mm. um because it's too slow and there's no story and everything but uh, for all of that i think it's an amazing movie and i'm gonna i'm gonna vote that's for it. yeah i i love that movie um i almost feel bad about making this pick uh because it it may screw up it may not it may screw up our our streak of voting for every poster that's in the studio. <laughs> don't worry about it uh but i'm actually gonna vote for return of the king okay uh, because I think it, it's almost like a, a lifetime achievement award uh, in my mind too. Because as as much as it is overlong and it is like overblown and everything, there's so much to love in this movie and there's so much to love in this trilogy that I think it it kind of earns that uh, that in toto love. Uh, so I'm gonna vote for that. Well, and there were better movies in 2002. So you're doing what the Academy did. You, you're giving the whole trilogy some love. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Finding Nemo all the way for me. Oh, um, yeah. And if you presented me uh, with every Blu-ray of every movie from 2003, that would be the one I would pick out to watch first. Um, and uh, I think I've said everything I love about it earlier in the discussion. All right. Well, I'm going to go old boy after this. Mm. Um, old boy is is one of those movies that I just, I mean, I love the the little plot to it it's a it's a a lot of fun twists i mean i mean once you get to that twist it you might debate whether or not it's fun or not (laughs) um but it's it's at least it's at least something that makes you feel something and uh i i think it's it's one of the most electric movies that came out in 2003 so uh, i'm gonna go with that okay well this may i think it'll probably do it i'm voting for lost in translation okay um for all the reasons, uh, including just the scenery, the mood, the performances, Bill Murray, that's it, baby. Well, that's the winner. I'm going Mystic River with my second pick. Mm-hmm. All right. Yep. So Lost in Translation is going to get the okay. win. Okay. Now, even though I voted for it, I don't know if I'm like too happy with that. <laughs> but, it, but out of this year. It's representative of the year. It is. Yeah. It is. Um, I, I love it. Don't get me wrong. And I picked it my as my choice. But I, I was... 
I was kind of going into this thinking that, yeah, maybe Return of the King would end up probably somehow winning this or whatever. And I don't, you know, of course we we're, I mean, we're not trying to pander to Lord of the Rings audiences here. <laughs> we didn't vote any of the movies as nope, best, no. as best of the year. I love that whole trilogy. Yeah, me too. But when you take each individual one per move, you know, against all the other movies of the year, it's hard to pick, uh, you know, pick that one as any one of them as the best. It's yeah. all you gotta kind of lump them all together. Yeah. As one big thing. Um, well, you're going to have to get some more posters in here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now we're, now, we're, now we're done. Now we're completely done. But we we did vote the entire poster collection. Yeah, exactly. Wow. <laughs> it's subliminal. I, guess. It is, I think it is. <laughs> Basically, this show today is going to be the remainder of the show today is going to be answering questions. Hey, hey, let me ask you something. This one time I let you ask me about my affairs. Any questions? I got something to say. Sir, what is it? Can I talk to you please, sir? You got that? You got to ask me nicely. I am listening. Uh, we had one question. We realized it was probably going to take a little bit longer, so it's kind of our main topic. It's a tweener. Today. Yeah, yeah, but we're not going to be able to talk like for thirty minutes about it or anything like that. But um, go ahead and uh, ask that question. We've gotten so many excellent questions that we're going to devote a lot of time to answering those things as best we can uh, in this in this segment here. So. Uh, we'll start off with a really interesting one. It's got a, a long premise, but I want to read the whole thing because it was really well thought out. And it's somebody that uh, posted on the subreddit that said, why do you think many directors seem to have trouble utilizing movies for the visual mediums that they are? In this case, I am referencing your correctly sent unnecessary voiceovers and intro text, which we do all the time. Uh, there have been several movies in the past few years which do the show, don't tell, so very well that they've received well-deserved accolades. Mad Max, Fury Road, John Wick, Dread are the examples that they give. Uh, these movies don't hold the audience's hand through the world building, and they have the minimal uh, necessary to get the ball rolling and then tell the story through the medium of the film, visually. Is it a matter of talent or the experience for the director? Uh, does it have to do with the industry and marketing, executive interference and test audiences, all of the above, none of the above. That's the question. Uh, thanks for posting it. It's really interesting. And what we ultimately uh, decided, basically the nuts of this question is, is why are directors telling more than showing? Yeah. Uh, why is there so much narration and why is there so much like, you know, reading text and Exposition stuff? Like, stuffing. Um, and it's amazing. Like it's getting to the point now, whenever we pop in a movie for sinning, that I can almost automatically write that at the beginning. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's so many times it happens now. So I we're going to come up with a bunch of reasons here. And I think probably they're all valid in their own. Like they're all going to be a reason for particular movies, maybe not others, but then other movies are going to have those other reasons. So Jeremy, what do you, what do you think? Okay. So I think a lot of it has to do with studios, uh, specifically, the fear they have of doing something outside the box um, and the true financing behind it. They could lose a ton of money if they make a movie like Mad Max Fury Road and it flops mm -hmm. and the studio might have been begging the whole time. Why don't I have some narration? Why not? Blah, 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 blah. And it's push and pull there, I think. And so I think when you see a movie like Castaway, uh, it's. 
showing way more than telling. That movie almost tells nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's because it's Zemeckis, and he's got the clout at this point in his career. The studio can only push him so far before he's going to push back. And you probably had Tom Hanks, major movie star, also on board with that premise. Um, but I think the studios feel like they have to do that shit because, in all honesty, there are a lot of dumb fucking Americans. <laughs> right? Yep. Like, um we're talking basically the question is asked by a film lover we're film lovers answering it to people who are listening that are film lovers mm-hmm. but the movie going public are not all film lovers yeah. they eat up the transformers movies right uh maybe uh, maybe some of them do need narration and exposition so they're not lost right <laughs> is that possible no that's totally possible um the other one of the other big reasons i think this is happening is that I think there is a combination of laziness mm. and a a the need to make a movie as cheap as possible. They don't want to shoot certain scenes that would explain these things off right off the bat. Um, in, instead of instead of uh, like you know, I, recently one movie that pops up, Dark Shadows, that we did mm. uh, as a sins mm. video, <clears throat> starts off with this big long narration thing that you know adds nothing really to the enjoyment of the movie if if you were to even enjoy that movie but um it, Deb basically explains all this stuff to us at the beginning and i'm like you could have had 15 minutes of you know of these scenes and it would have been perfectly fine but you wanted to get right you wanted to get right to the 70s like you wanted to get there as quickly as possible yeah i don't blame you but man all that stuff at the beginning is horrible and it's horribly explained too like like uh, you know one of the things that about the sins in the sins video we brought up was just the fact that you know she ava green like goes and buries him alive and all this other stuff and and that makes he's like makes the townspeople um turn against him or whatever well it's it's almost like it's instantaneous yeah like, like we don't find out that he lived a life as a vampire for many years until like way later in into the movie. But it makes it sound like, oh, he's a vampire. Oh, the townspeople turned against him. Now he's buried a lot. Yeah. And then so like, there's all this. It's, they're trying to. They're just trying to like get all. They're, they're just trying to get to a spot that they know for a fact that people are gonna like it, or they think that people are gonna like it anyway. So that's my ultimate. I think that's my ultimate reasoning. I think they just are are lazy and they don't want to shoot, spend the money to make a movie a little bit longer or whatever. They want to get right to those the meat of things. Yeah, I mean, you're both right. I mean, it's laziness and it's a lack of trust in audiences. But you also see, like with Mad Max, where if you do trust the audience, The Revenant does this, where they drop you into this world yeah. with no explanation and it, the holes get filled in. And, but that know, guy just won Best Picture. I know, and right? crazy. So that's some, some of, I think there has to be something about the stature of a director and his current clout that allows yeah. him to push for that more often than that whole movie was planned as that. Yeah. But after Birdman, they, no one was going to stop him from doing whatever the hell he wanted. Mm. Um, anyway, I interrupted you because I do that. I'm an asshole. No, no, no. I mean, that's the thing is that I think if if we have this collective. Trust building. Uh, it's it's not like people can't fill in the blanks. You don't have to have it as that clearly plated on a platter for for everybody. And you know, the more evidence that they have in something like the Revenant, something like uh, well, John Wick wasn't a huge hit, but like something like Mad Max, uh, the more evidence that you could say like 
try this. Try this. It'll make a better product. It'll make a more long-lasting product. And it'll make a, you know, it'll still make you money. Yeah. Let's talk about Jason Bourne for a second. Because here's a movie. I guarantee you some studio knucklehead (laughs) said, it's been 10 years since the last one. We better show what occurred in the first three Hell, there's probably kids that weren't alive back then that <laughs> yeah. haven't seen those movies. And so Jason Bourne, the film, opens literally with like three minutes of condensed storytelling of the trilogy mm. that is absolutely unnecessary. Yep. This is the very definition of telling instead of showing, instead of just trusting your audience to go along with the character, trusting your lead actor to fucking bring them in with his magnetism. No, you've got to spoon feed them. Here's what you missed on the last time with Jason. I've I've thought about three different scenes since, uh, you know, talking about how, you know, showing instead of telling always ended up being something amazing. Uh, in the wire, there's the scene where they're just saying fuck oh, the God. entire time. Um, and they're, and they're like, they're investigating an old murder and, and all they're doing is just going through this kitchen and like looking out the outside and they just keep saying fuck, fuck. And like, by the end of it, they, like, you have realized what they have come up with and they're like, fuck. Yeah. yeah. And like, and, and it, and it turns into such a great scene. We just recently send Jack Reacher hmm. where the first eight minutes of that movie is nothing but, you know, showing, it, showing, <laughs> and there's no narration. There's nothing that, um, and, and it's so exciting, like how it, how it pulls you in, but you know, you th- give somebody else, give some other asshole director that you're going to have like, you know, uh, you know, Johnny Johnny Utah had to go through years yeah. of school to uh, <laughs> you know do all this bullshit and it's like yeah I mean they don't and then and the other one how how nine thousand looking at the guys talking uh, oh, and, and and plotting against him and everything is another is another scene all these are great scenes and like if you have the actors who can emote and you have the editing done such and such a way and you and and you sh- you know your angles are just just right where the audience sees what the character sees you can make scenes like that yeah. sing and and i think a lot of times they're just like well how do we do this oh i know we'll just we'll just write it down some narration on yeah. It. yeah i mean it there, there are clever ways to do it there you can have a happy medium you don't necessarily have to only show and not tell uh, one of the things that came up to me was was Rushmore mm. uh, is the beginning scene where they're showing them like the yearbook pictures of mm. Max Fisher and yeah. all that stuff that gives you all kind of the the backstory that you need to set this in motion, but it's done cleverly, you know, and and yeah, it's shown in in kind of you know uh, text and everything like that. Mm-hmm. But even and you can make an argument that this is is too modeling too, but what they used in Citizen Kane mm-hmm. uh, for the the news of the week uh, type of thing to to exposit what was going on with Charles Foster Kane, it's not straight narration. It's not straight like here's what it's going. It's actually a plot device mm-hmm. uh, because they're going to like flesh out this this news of the week, this newsreel. So you can use it in clever ways and still get the the people that need that exposition. And also still like bring along to people that 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 don't necessarily need it. Yeah. Um, so I I mean and I mean there's just I mean I guess there's a lot of reasons why I think sometimes people just go into a screenplay saying that's how we're going to start it. Yeah. 
You know, that. But having just recently seen X-Men Apocalypse, I'm waiting for the first X-Men movie to come along that doesn't open with some vague talk about genetics and DNA <laughs> mutations. Yeah, for once. What the fuck is that? This yep. is Brian Singer, who should have clout. We are all familiar with the fact that the X-Men are mutants, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Do, is that necessary? Nope. I was so appalled by that. I, I just don't understand how we can get such shining examples from the studios like Mad Max or mm. like Wall-E. Imagine Wall-E opening with, oh, yeah. Yeah. you know, in the year 2800, <laughs> humans had consumed all, all right. the resources and were forced to flee in a giant ship. Like, Wall-E just goes and you yeah. find out what you need to know by watching his antics. Um, so it's just fascinating to me that we see such egregious missteps, even in the midst of some great examples of showing without telling. Yeah. So yeah, I think I think a lot of those reasons are ultimately. I I just ultimately vote for laziness. I don't think the person knows what they need to do, mm. or or you're like you know yeah the studio believes that doesn't believe in the director being able to tell that yeah in a certain way without shooting more film and them spending you know a few more million dollars yeah. on it yeah uh but uh yeah i think that's hollywood's cheap and lazy yeah. yeah solved it maybe uh once you get more directors that have that clout that start you know doing it the way that they want to do it maybe it'll start turning around maybe we'll yeah. i doubt it <laughs> all right <laughs> so we're going to move on to some other questions a lot of these are fun as hell yeah, so the first one is uh, in the event of a zombie apocalypse, it's going to happen, folks. Let's, <laughs> yep. all, let's all settle down. We all down. know it's happening. Let's all be serious about this We all for a know second, it's happening. Okay? All right. In the event of a zombie apocalypse, uh, you are all allotted four badass fighters from four separate movies in order to survive. Who do you choose and why? Mm. Uh, who wants to go first? Chris? I'll go for it. All right. So um, I immediately f- started thinking of who are badasses who are also sort of in this world, like already in a zombie apocalypse almost. So I didn't want to pick all those, but I did pick one. And that the first one, Tallahassee, Woody Harrelson from Zombieland. Um, you want to have somebody who has experience with zombies, somebody who knows what to do. And, you know, Woody Harrelson proves himself pretty smart in zombie. He seems land. almost comfortable in that environment. Yeah. Like he's been waiting for it and he's, he's ready. He's just like, all right, yeah. this is happening. And he's got the great scene where he jumps into that little carny tent or whatever, <laughs> the carny uh, structure and all the zombies are coming towards him. And he's just, <laughs> he's just knocking them down. Cause yeah. it's, you know, uh, so obviously you got to have him in there. Um, then I had Eli Denzel Washington from the book of Eli. Oh, such a good nice. pick. Yeah. Um, he is, um, I mean, the, I get, do, do I want to talk about the surprise of this movie? I mean, it's came out. I think you can talk about the surprise. Yeah. It, yeah. it came out a while back, but you find out later that he's blind and he has all these senses heightened because of, of, of his blindness and everything. So he was able to like detect whether or not there's somebody like hiding off in the, mm. in, oh, in some like very like innocuous areas and everything. So you want to have somebody who can, who can hear the zombies coming before they even come. Mm. And a badass too. The guy is absolutely badass yep. in that book of Eli. Um, so then, uh, then I started thinking I need to have at least two just straight up badasses who are also smart. And that's the bride, Uma Thurman and Kill Bill, mm-hmm. uh, who, who, knows all these martial arts because she spent a uh you know fuck ton of time up on that mountain with that old man and <laughs> the cruel tutelage. and 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 that's right and, and and she knows the finger the the heartbeat stopping technique and all that, she other. Can that take, sword yeah, yeah she can take a ton of people out at once right i mean you know not the maybe, maybe the heartbeat technique
technique doesn't work in this situation because zombies maybe don't have uh, heartbeats. Yeah. That's all right. But uh, but he's she's at least a badass with swords. And then I I also just I just go ahead and throw Jason Bourne in there because I think he if the if the zombies got close he would be able to improvise and uh, that's one you got to have somebody who can improvise. In a I, think fight one, like that. I think one of Jason Bourne the character's coolest badass uh, attributes is how quickly he goes from recognizing a problem to enacting a solution mm, yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean it's yeah. just so amazing all yeah right. all right so i went a little bit of a different route everyone on my team uh was selected for a specific reason nice so the first is the guy from the raid to rama and uh, the actor's name is eco a whites who knows because i got hand-to-hand combat covered now yep all right yep. zombies get close enough that hand-to-hand is required that guy's gonna save my ass mm-hmm. i got data from star trek the next generation yeah most specifically because he can't die or be turned into a right. zombie so i could send him on all kinds of missions that's solid like go get us some more diapers and tylenol right mm-hmm. data, mm-hmm. i'm stretching the definition of badass here with data i guess but mm, uh, why, do you, why do you need diapers well i just uh, in walking dead i think they had to get diapers once oh yeah okay. <laughs> i was just <laughs> so you're assuming that you're with a horde of people that um, include like babies and no stuff. just that i found a woman and made her pregnant ah uh, yep. okay yep because um, gotcha. you gotta get your love on in the yeah, post-apocalypse. Shade, of course. Uh, I'm choosing Christian Bale's character from Equilibrium because uh, now I've got gunplay covered. Um, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And uh, if and when you guys see that movie, you'll understand. And then I'm. Oh, lastly, I'm taking Michael Gross from the Tremors movie. Yeah. Because he owns a hundred of every type of weapon ever made. Yeah. And I will just give those to Christian Bale and let him kill all the zombies. Yeah. This is the first time anyone's referenced Michael Gross is a badass. <laughs> yes. But in those movies, in that universe, he's a badass. Oh, yeah. So many guns. You're right. He's got the arsenal, man. Yeah, you got to. Yeah, you're going to tap into that. Yeah, so I got the guy to shoot the guns, the guy to do the punching, the guy to go get stuff, and the arsenal. I'm yes. set. Nice. Good times. Yeah. Similarly, I've got some some people that, that fit into a niche. Like, I've got William Wallace from Braveheart, oh. mm-hmm. uh, who will fire up my horde. This is good. Yeah. And he will lead us into battle. That's right. And he'll come out victorious. Mm-hmm. No and he'll what. moon the zombies. Mm-hmm. He'll moon the shit out That's of those right. zombies, man. He'll piss them off. <laughs> and he'll get them to <laughs> have some sort of mistakes. Some and zombie he mistake. has that whole stash of, uh, of face paint that we can He's put on. He's got the him. face paint. Oh, yeah, because yeah, you want to intimidate the fuck out of those zombies. You do. You can't just like walk up on them. They're just going right. to underestimate you. Actually, yeah. the best tactic fighting against zombies is mind games everybody knows that. yeah exactly yeah. i mean they still have the brainstem head game <laughs> instead of making love plus he's great with the broadsword so you can slice off yeah uh, the zombie bits That's good call cool. uh i've also got emily blunt's character in edge of tomorrow oh, oh so good rita vertoski does yeah. she still have her power yeah totally man. after she lost uh, she was still a badass after she lost her power though yeah yeah she that's a good pick yeah man uh, tough as nails fucking uh, everything that you want and she has an exosuit exactly yeah yeah man Dude, that's mm-hmm. awesome so she's got some protection on there and then uh obviously you want somebody that's good to, with hand-to-hand combat and like subterfuge and camouflaging so it's john rambo is mm. on my team oh yeah oh. and you can't fuck with john rambo he's got heavy artillery covered he's got close combat he's got you know he's basically uh peta from the the hunger Games. yeah yeah, except, yeah. Well, he you can know, build you a shelter in probably much, like 20 seconds flat yeah too. man I mean, this is survivalist stuff. Yeah. And I'm talking about like first blood Rambo. Very yeah. good. None of that shit, though, but uh, uh, camouflaging yourself as a log no, or some shit no, like that. Man. No, this is this is all like ready to, to yeah. battle. Right. And then I've got like the ace in, in the ace in the hole, the ace in my hole, the ace in my pocket, the, the ace hole. 
I got the ace hole, mm-hmm. and the ace hole is the T-800 from yep. Terminator. Oh. You, Arnold's character. You basically went expendables on this, because you have Schwarzenegger, <laughs> Stallone, and Gibson all in this thing. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, you talk about somebody that can't be turned into a zombie. Uh, he's essentially unbeatable. Um, he could just walk into a zombie horde and just start like pulling shit off of these things, yep. snapping heads off. Yep. So uh, he's a movie character. He's on my team. I'm going to win. Yeah. Can you just imagine, though, a Terminator movie with zombies and shit? I'd be great. I'd be all over that. Yeah, man. Why haven't they made that I'm movie? I'm sure it's coming. Fuck. Yep. You could, well, yeah. I got nothing. <laughs> I got nothing. What's the next question? Oh, I like that question a lot. Okay, second one is, if you could only listen to songs that were featured in a movie, what movie would you pick? Now, I think that we can look at this other ways and just say, like, what movie songs would you uh, like yeah, latch on to? No, I think we should do it that way, because the that that way is basically saying, what's your favorite movie soundtrack? Yeah, yeah, like, that's true. Like, it, it, uh, if songs in a movie, which movie would you pick? It's like, uh... So we're going to pick our the best movie songs... Uh, that we could, if we could only listen to those for all, all time, yeah. that's what we would do. Okay. All right. So God Only Knows mm-hmm. um, from Boogie Nights. Yep. One of my favorite songs ever. And uh, just re- really thanking my stars that it was in a movie so I could answer that for this question. Yeah. Uh, I also have uh, Sing Along Junk by Paul McCartney on the Jerry Maguire soundtrack. That is an interesting pick. I love this. It's like a two-minute instrumental guitar piano dance and it's the scene when he's after the date on the porch with renee zellweger um and but right before they go in and do it um and it's just just great i bought that soundtrack um because at that point in my life i was buying soundtracks to everything cameron crow made because yeah, yeah. the single soundtrack was so call. great yeah uh and i just fell in love with that little song um all i want is you from reality bites <laughs> nice not U2 my song. favorite u2 song and probably every U2 song's been in a movie before, but I love that song. Uh, the raw emotions of Bono at the end when he's screaming, Oh, what is, yeah! Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like that movie at all, but that song's great. Gotta have some U2 if I'm gonna be on like a deserted island. Uh, I'll skip that one. Fire and Rain, James Taylor from the movie Fire and Rain. Nice. <laughs> uh, not my favorite James Taylor song, but I couldn't think of too many movies. that. And I got to have some James Taylor. If I'm limiting ah. my future music listening to just a handful of songs, I had to have some James Taylor in there. Mm. Surprised you didn't go Bob Marley in I Am Legend. I almost did. Did you really? But I talked so much about that recently, I decided not to. Mm. Uh, nice. But Three Little Birds would, would probably be up there. Yeah, sure. nice. Mm. Um, my list, I'm not, look, I, there's probably, there's going to be way better songs than this list that I've come up with. So... I thought about this question more along the lines of songs that were prominently featured in the movie or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, and like, yeah, I could sit back and think about a bunch of movies and think of, oh, those have some of my favorite songs ever yeah. in or whatever. But for whatever reason, these are the ones that popped up. I could probably change this. No, no, no. This time. is your Desert Island picks. Um, where you, you're comfortable listening to these. So I have, uh, I've run the gamut here. I've got you 2 I've got Hold Me, Throw Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me nice. from Batman Forever. Mm-hmm. Which I think is one of the better, like, movie, made-for-the-movie things. They, they actually uh, made that song. They were going to make it for Zeropa, uh-huh. and then they didn't put it on the album. And actually, that song's better than anything that's on Zeropa, yeah, I yeah. think. Uh, um, in defense of Lemon, I disagree. Lemon! <laughs> <laughs> lemon! It's like an Adam Sandler impression, that song. Yeah. Um, I also have Ludacris's Get Back from Tropic Thunder. Oh, nice. yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it's 
<laughs> that's one of those i love the just i love the ending of tropic thunder they play that whole song they go through they all do. the little credits and everything uh it's a it's a real good like yeah energetic song okay here's the one that <laughs> this one right here uh barrett's gonna disagree with and probably uh f- three quarters of our listening audience are gonna limp biscuits take a look around for impossible too <laughs> <laughs> Not only this is a terrible pick, it's a terrible fucking song. I fucking love it, and it's, I'll tell you why. Of all the terrible Limp Biscuit songs, this is the worst doing fucking it, Limp Biscuit doing song. Doing it, doing it, man, doing it, putting that fucking thing in because it it is it is fucking energetic as hell, and it's terrible. But I love it. Oh my god! Oh, I will never Christ. forget though. I will never forget watching this movie, and this this song comes on, and our friend Russell like once the once the the big the the little and then it goes into that no i know why you gonna hate me all that <laughs> russell was just like doing this like huge like dance down at the be- at the front of the screen and everything it's probably why it resonates with me so much um uh and everything but uh yeah you're absolutely right uh i shouldn't have this on my list but i'm gonna have it on my list that's awesome uh wallflowers heroes which is uh you know the godzilla it's godzilla that's interesting uh, that's a really good soundtrack it's a, it's a great cover to that song yeah. uh and I, I always really enjoyed it uh wings live and let die oh. um, i went through ran the gamut of bond songs uh-huh. and i decided i was gonna do this one i thought about maybe the chris cornell one from casino royale oh, that's a really good one. really like that yeah. one too but i it was like if i'm gonna do bond i might as well do the most the most well-known one uh, Rage Against the Machines, Wake Up, and Matrix. Mm, um, That'll get you uh, fired up on your island. Yeah, I mean, pretty much all these are like just fired up type mm. of songs. Ghetto Boy, Still from Office Space. Yeah, great one. Uh, and The Who, Steel. The, yeah, The Who, The Seeker from American Beauty. Yeah, I love that. So, uh, so yeah, there, there's my list, and, and I know that uh, Limp Biscuit doesn't. Uh, <sighs> uh, I know that oh. makes Barrett skin crawl oh, but that's i'm gonna right. i'm gonna that's i'm gonna have that in there when i need i need some uh, emotional release i'm gonna compartmentalize that in my brain and never think about it again yeah. mm-hmm. so cool. my my picks are uh initially i was making these as being part of the movie like i could listen to the pulp fiction soundtrack uh forever if i had to uh but my pick out of that would be son of a preacher man mm-hmm. and i mean that is that is the smoothest most just sensual song that, oh, that yeah, just that man, it sex, always man. it always gets me going uh so that's a great one uh singles is my second favorite soundtrack of all time 1992 cameron crow and it has some of the greatest what you would call alternative somewhat grunge music on there with alice in chains and Soundgarden and everything but they've got two pearl jam songs on there one called State of Love and Trust, which everybody loves. And then there's a second one called Breathe, mm-hmm. which is a much better song. I love that song so much. I've listened to it hundreds of times. So I would pick that from that soundtrack. Uh, I need some Gravitas um, on my island. Yeah. Oh, so uh, from from Ober Other War Out There, I'm going to uh, pick Ralph Stanley's O Death. Oh, uh, yeah. Because uh, I need to, you know, I need to settle down. I need to, like, kind of 
get my spirituality on. I'm worried about Chris because he's just going to be running around his <laughs> island like raging <laughs> with right. nothing to vent. Like he's just going to be worked up. That's right. Yeah. And then I'm I'm gonna like I, I need something to kind of like fire me up, but also have fun. So I'm gonna choose uh, "Sing Sing Sing" from Swing Kids, Ooh. Uh, which is the prototypical the dun 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 dun. Um, so that'd be fun. And then I'm actually going to pick something from the Office Space soundtrack, but it's, it's damn, it feels good to be a gangster. Yeah, it does though. Uh, cause that'll, you know, mellow me out too. So mm-hmm. uh, I've got a nice, like array of picks there. And of course I could do millions more. I actually was thinking about choosing Ben Folds 5's Air from the Godzilla soundtrack mm-hmm. too. Ooh. Uh, but you know, that came in, I, I couldn't listen to that for the rest of my life. Yeah. Now I didn't really think about this as a deserted Island. No, thing. we now, twisted that around on you by the end of it. Didn't <laughs> yeah, we? you did because deserted <laughs> Island, I would definitely go different routes. <laughs> and, uh, for me, this is more about stuff that, that just can't like struck me when I watched it in a movie theater, yeah, like yeah. for whatever reason. Yeah. Even though take a look around is a terrible song. It was one of those things where it was like, I'll, I'll always remember Russell yeah. doing that thing. And I was just like sitting there going, yeah, man, I am totally into the song. Um, You're going to be stuck on an island with Limp But Biscuit. if I'm stuck on an island, I'm going to be listening to nothing but all these like Zach amped up songs. <laughs> okay. What's the most egregious movie adaptation of a book? And a second follow-up question is what movie was actually better than the book? Mm-hmm. So who's okay, first? So egregious, I'm in honor of my wife. Uh, I have to say Aragon, ah. uh, which is a, a book. She read the whole series. The original book was originally written by a 15-year-old, mm-hmm. self-published, got noticed in a bookstore, and then got published by a publisher. Uh, had a shit ton of fans, yep. like borderline Twilight level of fans reading these books. And then that first movie came out. Yep. Oh my god. <laughs> it's it's one of the worst. It's one of the worst movies about anything that mm-hmm. anyone's ever made. It's not just a bad adaptation. It's just bad. It's mm-hmm. bad. The acting's bad. The effects are bad. The camera work is bad. It's, it's, it's bad. A, it's a quickie uh entry into hoping a franchise would happen. Yeah. And they figured, let's see if everybody who likes that book just comes out in droves and we can just make these and print money. Yeah. And they made a terrible, terrible movie. Yeah. And fans of that book get violent when you talk about this movie. (laughs) Like, they're angry. Just like the Percy Jackson fans. And Mm -hmm. I don't think those movies are terrible like like this one is. Uh, But they are so angry. They're so bitter about that because they're not going to get another shot now. Mm. Nobody's ever going to remake Aragon uh, no matter how good the books were just because there's that sore sitting out there (laughs) in the universe. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then as far as one that's better than the book, it's been so long since I've read it, but I'm going to go ahead and say Hunt for Red October. Mm. Oh, yeah. Um, I like Clancy's books, but much like... uh, john grisham's books i don't they don't stick with me like Mm. i don't read one of those books and i'm still thinking about it six months later yeah Uh, but as a film hunt for red october does resonate and sit with me like that Uh, Mm -hmm. so that's my answer yep all right well for the most egregious one i'm gonna pick the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy yeah Um, that's a a good one that was an abysmal movie yeah except for alan rickman well and uh and most def has a, a really fun performance in yep. it but it's it's just wasted the whole thing is just you, you super have so wasted. many great people in that martin freeman martin yeah freeman, sam rockwell yeah. i mean and zoe deschanel yeah. you have a lot of people in there that, that should have resonated yeah. but they didn't do this right at I, all. I don't know why the douglas adams book was is just like 
something that if you really get into it, it feels like almost a friend. Mm-hmm. Like uh, it, it's a really, really uh, enjoyable, just fun read. And it puts you in this universe that's almost like Vonnegutian. Yeah. Uh, where that's it's not a just, word. It's, just, <laughs> it, it's so it turns everything on its head so much that you just accept the absurdity. And I think the movie just missed well, uh, one thing I aesthetic. think that my reaction, I agree with everything you're saying, and I don't like this movie at all, except for that opening. The mm-hmm. the song the dolphins sing. Of course, when I read the book, there's no audio. I don't yeah, hear yeah. a song. And the song they came up with, the melody, so long, so long, and thanks <laughs> for all the fish. It, worked, it really worked for me and set the tone. And then immediately after that, the movie starts stepping on its own feet. This yeah, was yeah. long considered one of the unfilmable books, yeah. mainly because it's mostly narration mm-hmm. as far as what what humor it, it has so if you make the movie you have to also incorporate all that narration there are some audio books yep. way back in the day that are really good if you want to listen to yeah. them uh and it has that same narrator that they got for the movie and everything mm-hmm. but but i was so i was actually so used to those audio books i've read the books too mm-hmm. but um i was so used to that and the way the jokes were told and they were so perfectly timed and everything when it got to the movie, he the narration is like slightly faster. The timing is way off, oh, yeah. and everything. And I'm just like, no, yeah, they just kind of skipped over that joke yeah. there. That's uh. you know that type of thing would happen. Yeah, it's one of those. It's just a a book that's hard to shoot a movie out yeah. of. But yeah, they decided to try to add all the slapstick type uh-huh. of stuff in it, and it just doesn't work. No. And what I would pick for the movie that's better than the book maybe somewhat controversial is the shining mm-hmm. yeah. um i think stephen the, king didn't like it stephen king did not like Fuck it stephen king exactly <laughs> what does he know. know about his own book <laughs> uh i think uh, the book is is perfectly good uh it's it it is a very different representation of jack torrance though and mm-hmm. like what motivates him and what his whole meaning is but uh, i love the the movie version of this so much better it is colder mm-hmm. like literally and figuratively uh, but it, I think it's paced perfectly, and obviously the the performances are great. And I think if they had gone, if they had swung for the original Stephen King version, I think it would have. I don't. I I could not see that that well, adaptation working. I was just thinking that. I was like, thank God they didn't have the effects yeah. to do the maze thing at the end. Yeah, yeah, where they're all like because that would have. Yeah. yeah, that would have been. I mean, I think that would have. I mean, unless Kubrick was going to do some other. I mean, I. I don't know if the same movie would have been made other than that. Yeah, you know, and they, but, they actually did make a TV movie for it, starring Steven, yeah, Steven Weber. Yeah, it got yeah, good yeah. reviews from, yeah. uh, from Wings, and it was perfectly fine, but it had that kind of thing where it was like driven by the, the alcoholism and, and his love for the kid and all mm-hmm. that stuff. And it wasn't even that I was just so used to the, the, the Kubrick movie. It was that it just, it just wasn't nearly as, as interesting to me. Yeah. Okay, so along... Uh, in that same era when aragon came out you also had stuff like the golden compass Mm -hmm. and uh, a lot of like just adaptations that really let their fans down now i haven't read any of these books but the one that i remember and the one that i wanted to punch in its face when i watched it was the seeker the dark is rising i don't know if you guys have seen this (laughs) movie no um but i i wanted to punch the kid in the face and i'm sorry i don't i don't advocate punching kids in the face <laughs> not anymore at least yeah I, I, he's I, off that it's I, been five I, days I'm, I'm thinking maybe maybe it's okay to punch that kid in the face but but like uh but because he's 11 years older now and uh <laughs> and uh but uh this movie is just it, it it's one of the worst ever and christopher eccleston who 
you know, a lot of people know from Doctor Who and all that. Um, I feel like, man, he they just called him in to do scenes a lot of times. Mm. They're just he was it's so disconnected from it. And he tells the audience everything mm. that he's doing and everything and what he's feeling and all that. And it's just it, it's it is a miserable experience. <laughs> when uh when the movie The Seventh Son came out, I was almost certain that that was going to be that was part of the same books and everything but it's not it's some other thing where they made a magical thing out of somebody being the seventh son the the seeker is very much like that it's all about being the seventh son of a seventh son and all that Mm. and um oh my god it's a miserable dreadful experience imdb has it at 4.8 nice um not (laughs) a good movie at all i've never read the book and i i'm sure the book is great but Mm. this movie's terrible um the movie that I think uh, is better than the book, and this book is phenomenal, is L.A. Confidential. Oh, um, the book L.A. Confidential is it, it's a it's really sort of a magic trick how Curtis Hanson got this into a movie, and uh, um, and while the book is is just phenomenal on its own, uh, it, the movie's even better. Nice, so good picks. Yep. Okay, so uh, what were some of the great scores from unexpected movies? I like the way this is kind of phrased because what I get from it is is more like, wow, I didn't really expect that to to strike me from that movie, mm-hmm. um, which is an interesting way to look at it. My, my pick, I'll go on and start, is the Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross uh, score for The Social Network. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And man, I mean, it, this is Trent Reznor from Nine Inch Nails. Yep. Uh, doing a phenomenal score for a David Fincher movie that that's not a you know dark and brooding or anything like that. It's about you know tech, and uh, it's it's got this great opening of the doo doo with the piano. And yeah, everything. it moves into kind of a more almost industrial thing uh, uh, throughout the movie, and it it called my attention to it. as great as that movie is. I was attenuating to the score a lot in that movie in the first time that I watched it. And uh, yeah, that's definitely my pick. I almost went and just to sub one here. I almost went with Johnny Greenwood uh, from Radiohead, yeah. the guitarist from Radiohead, doing the score for uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's "There Will Be Blood." Mm-hmm. Uh, so two '90s rockers basically doing unexpected scores. Yeah, I actually went with uh, one of our 2003 discussed movies, uh, "Pirates of the Caribbean." Yeah. yeah, which is, of course, nobody expected anything from that movie. So a good anything from that would have been unexpected, mm-hmm. um, but. You know, considering how many bad pirate movies we've been through over the years uh, and how much that score adds to that film's action. Like, I freaking love it. It's I swashbuckling. To it. Yeah, it really makes you feel, <laughs> me feel like Errol Flynn or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, surprisingly, you know, it's just a, it's a family adventure, what have you. Those kind of movies don't usually have memorable scores. Mm. But, uh, this one I sing constantly. Yeah. Like I just did a second ago. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Kicking it to you, bud. Um, I'm going to pick Marco Beltrami's score from Scream ah. on this one. Um this was one of his first movies. He's now had a long career after uh, after doing this, but I think Scream has a has a score that's uh, fairly unexpected. For I mean, horror movies at this point, you and even now, pretty much have that same kind of <laughs> yeah. score all the way through it. But Scream has a very co- stark and contrasted score to anything else that you see in horror movies. 
Um, especially the scene where the camera, the, there's the big crane shot and screen that's going around the school mm-hmm. while there's reporters outside and everything. The, the music in that is like, you know, all this, oh, like, yeah. you know, oh, you know, all that stuff and yeah. everything really good score to that movie and it's launched that guy's career um and you know so he i don't know if he's done very many great ones after that i don't really notice him that much anymore but like every time i see his name oh yeah that's a guy from scream uh but his his score for scream is great that's awesome mm-hmm. i never even really thought about that yeah do it it'll be a scream do it. <laughs> it'll be yeah a chris scream. won that that round of answers nice sure did all right, we're going to finish up with this one. Thanks, everybody, for your questions. Uh, we are going to finish with what movie vehicle would you want to take on a cross-country road trip? Mm. Chris, you want to start off? Yeah, you know, I think we all picked RVs in this situation. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> um, because, I mean, you want to have a you want to have something where you can, like, you know, I don't know, you, ha- you can cook and you can hang out and, mm. you know, all other type of stuff, but... The one in Judgment Night is the one that, like, (laughs) has always been, like, the fantasy RV because Jeremy Piven put everything in that RV. It's part of the movie at the beginning of it. Like, yeah, I've got a satellite TV in this thing. And I can, you know, it's like like every bell and whistle is on this. Now, this is 1993, so we got (laughs) to upgrade it to 2016 and everything, but I think you got what what I'm going for on this. I want to have an RV that does everything thing has all the bells and whistles and yeah you can just hang out watch tv you can cook you can you know just you know all that so it's good i want to win a bagel yeah i want to win a bagel <laughs> burgundy interior <laughs> um but yeah and then and then you know i would tow an aston martin behind it because i'd have to like uh do some badass shit there, there, you, go. Want. there you go so anyway well i would uh, take the war rig from mad max yeah. Fury Road, uh, solely because that sucker moves. Uh-huh. It's fast. It's indestructible. There's a lot of different compartments to it. Um, it's, and it's full uh, of mother's milk. And it's full of mother's milk and, you know, wives and concubines and stuff oh, like that. Yeah. So, part too. So, uh, so I'm good with it. Yeah. You only got like 13 bullets, though, for like the whole trip. Yeah. But you really don't need it. it it's so secure and it's so like locked in. I mean, could you imagine if you were driving down like a U.S. highway and up over a hill behind you, chugging at 85? <laughs> that would be insane. The intimidation factor. Everybody would clear the fuck God, out of the way. I would. Yeah. Treat it so like I'd an ambulance. Like, hey, what's going on? <laughs> War rig coming through. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. So I went with the RV from Where the Millers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because RVs are the only way to really travel, especially with friends. You can sleep in it. You can cook and eat in it but mm. this rv is also stocked with hundreds of pounds of weed yeah <laughs> and that would make a cross-country journey fun for anyone yes, i would, would imagine <laughs> you could use it to like trade with other campers yeah, and stuff. yeah, yeah. Hey, we got here's a brick of weed give us some steak you know? <laughs> right all right you could make some cash on the side by being a mobile drug dealer mm-hmm. yeah so that's why i was I guess, does yeah. it come with jennifer aniston no, it's just gonna be me and my buds and, All right. and the weed. So you're so you're like the guys in uh, Troll Two then, who are like in their RVs all the way through, and they sleep together and all that other type of shit. I put that movie out of my mind. Yeah, it's probably a good idea. All right, well, um, continue going to SoundCloud and uh, giving us your uh, opinions about what we're doing on this thing. We thank you for that. Just tell us what we're doing, good or bad or whatever. But that's going to be the uh, Sincast for this week. Uh, Chris Atkins and Jeremy Scott and Barrett Share. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. 
Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasins.com. an angry elf <laughs> but it also uh also of the the year of what did i just run across that was another comic book movie <sighs> maybe i have it on my list holes <laughs> yes <laughs> that uh that introduced everybody to shia labeouf uh, fanboys are so crazy because i i thought as soon as i watched that trailer boy this feels like the last of us that video game i played and I go down to the comments and 90% of the people are saying that. But all the fanboys are like, shut the fuck up. This comic came out before The Last of Us. Blah, 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 blah. Because The Last <laughs> of Us is this old grizzled guy who gets paired up with this teenage girl and they go on the run. And he's try to, trying to deliver her to a certain place. There's also zombies. but um, <clears throat> It's uh, Naughty Dog. That's the studio. <laughs> Naughty Dog. Your, your eyes just lit up. <laughs> when I did the video of me playing that game drunk and the logo came up i go naughty dog and it's just stuck in my brain what kills me about that trailer is it's another like dystopian like oh shit i've done things wrong superhero thing i mean it's a lot of people are like praising the use of that johnny cash song yeah no fuck that and i didn't i didn't i felt like that was manipulative manipulative mm-hmm. right like you can set the tone for the sadness without i hurt myself <laughs> saddest sounding today. song ever recorded <laughs> uh, i also love he that he made that song somehow sadder he uh, did. from the nine inch nails he version did. that guardians of the galaxy 2 trailer was awesome too yeah still haven't seen that either i don't want to watch any more after that but mm. it was fantastic mm-hmm. yeah it does look good and then there's a tiny groot at the end yeah baby yeah groot. there better be i wonder if he's going to be a baby the whole movie i bet he won't I mean, he has to grow. But if he, if he is, I hope Vin Diesel still got paid a shit ton to make baby coo sounds. Yeah. Because that would be awesome. He just, just sped it up. Because there's this little noise he makes. In the, he's like, like, that would be Vin Diesel's work for this movie. That yeah. would be amazing. Or they got whoever did Pebbles or Bam Bam. Back in the day. <laughs> yeah. Like, got him out of retirement. They're not dead. You know? Like, 90 years old. Yeah. They still got what's her name who did uh, Mickey Mouse to do stuff like just very recently, oh, really? like the original Mickey Mouse, I think, or it or no, it was Rocky the Squirrel. One of oh, those, really? One of those people did something. <laughs> well, they're Rocky, probably the same person. <laughs> well, Rocky and Bullwinkle was like more late sixties, early seventies, right? It? it would it would so make would more make- it would make more sense. Now here's something you'll really like. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let's see. Rocky was June Foray, and she's still alive, and she's almost 100. She's 99 years old. God damn. uh, Good for her. Good for her is right, man. And uh, (laughs) she actually... When Family Guy did a Rocky thing, like, they got her to do it. But yeah, still doing all these cartoons and stuff. The other thing, now this would have happened longer ago, but when they're doing that uh, itchy and scratchy and poochy mm-hmm. episode in The Simpsons, mm-hmm. 
they had the that was i believe the woman who did mickey mouse was oh on seriously there. yeah and Actually, it kind of sounds like, he's like it, yeah. yeah. It's like uh, they they hardly they rarely ever uh, draw the cartoon while they're doing the voice. <laughs> it's it's very strenuous on the animators. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's a great episode. Poochie. Oh yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't. I don't. Poochie I guess, was the one with the sunglasses and all that, right? Yeah. Like the, the the cool edition they were trying. I'm to... talking the original dog from hell. You <laughs> yeah. mean Cerberus? <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't that just a play on like uh, like the sitcoms just adding new like, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Like just Leonardo DiCaprio coming into uh, growing pains yeah. yeah yeah it was it was their feeble attempt to to uh, push up ratings remember it's Arnold and Brady Bunch oh yeah oh my god <laughs> that's been going on a long time dude like yeah I I watched that was the first time I ever recognized that that happening in, yeah. a, in a show because i used to watch brady bunch all the time oh yeah like, really? get home get home it was on tbs they'd have back-to-back yeah. episodes of it i watched every brady bunch there ever was and then like yeah even i like at that age was like who the fuck is this this is a cheap ploy <laughs> yeah this is, yeah yeah exactly i just had to clip off the clips clip off the tips clip off, off the my t- tip just the tip yep uh screw all that those heineken commercials are the most unfunniest things i've ever they're seen. up there with the seth rogan amy schumer oh yeah commercials. Mm-hmm. michael pena i think they're way yeah. worse than that though i mean like even even in that realm that's even worse because None of them are any, like, none of them have anything to grab onto. No, and they're wasting, like, good performers, too. Yeah. That are actually like, funny. I really like Neil Patrick Harris, yeah. but, like, he's given nothing with us. Like, there was that one that they played where it was, he was like, uh, he had the lawyer next to him or whatever. And yeah. he was like, he's like, I made you say it. And she's like, no, you didn't. Yes, I did. Yeah. And I'm just like, what i mean what's what are we grabbing onto yeah what's what's what am i what am i supposed to find funny these insurance companies are about to get like a whole hate video from me with their laziness right Mm -hmm. because the insurance companies commercials these days are we try and make you laugh with some stupid non-related thing and then we say a phrase insurance it's like iced tea at a lemonade stand oh my god that's unexpected so is saving money with us that's the opposite of creative. I had to hold my tongue the other day. Somebody was talking about how they love those commercials, and I was like, Are you "Serious? The, the iced tea, yeah." And uh, and uh, I, first off, just so many things bother me about the those type of commercials. You know, <laughs> like uh, like yeah, I can see in the world of when how we're watching it that would be funny that they keep saying iced tea and it's Mm. really lemonade and everything but once it's revealed that iced tea is there you know it's like is is iced tea not playing iced tea is (laughs) iced tea playing a different character surprise people are saying yeah right exactly (laughs) yeah it's lemonade man i'm like go sit go sit inside fucker well (laughs) and and i think the other three people the three or four people who ask whether it's iced tea and they keep on getting turned away by the lemonade. They don't say, but you look like iced tea. Right, exactly. You know. Oh, <laughs> not, it's, you're not him then. Right. Yeah. Naughty dog.